Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They will go to one of their left-handers to get the start in tonight's game. Yeah, Matthew Libertor says his goal is simply to win every time out. He gets the start tonight, also knowing that he's auditioning for a spot in the rotation next year. We like trying to put some pressure on early, try to get this early run, get the lead to start this game. And that's going to get down, and the A's are going to get a 1-0 lead. Not exactly the start you're looking for here, but time to turn the page. The A's have first and third two outs for the third baseman, Jordan Diaz, who is 0 for 8 so far in the series. That's in the gap in right center field. That's going to find some grass and up against the wall. A two-run double for Jordan Diaz. And the A's are off and running, leading 3-0. For Shea Langliers. That's going to squirt fair past Goldschmidt. And the A's will pick up another run. A decent amount of pitches in the first. You're going to feel that as you get deeper into that game in every aspect from a fatigue, velo, all of it standpoint. But it's just uh, part of development. If you're going to develop at this level, you're going to have ups and downs. And we go right back to work and see what the next outing looks like. That's what it sounded like last night on both Bally Sports Midwest and the A's TV network alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, it was a bad night for Matthew Libertor. No other way around it. Four and a third, 10 hits, six runs, five of them were earned, walked three, struck out five, ended up only going the four and a third because the pitch count got so remarkably high, mostly due to the extended first inning. He said after the game, hey, listen, I I got into some bad habits and I completely lost everything that I tried to get back in my last outing against the Rays. Alex, yesterday was a lot of what we had seen previously. Velo starts to dip pretty quickly. The curveball isn't landing for strikes. They're hitting him harder than what you would hope for. It just wasn't a good outing overall. The question, though, is what does it mean long term? Was it a one off? Was that something where you look at it and you say, okay, well, clearly he can't repeat when he's able to go out there and give you a good start. How did you view yesterday's start for Matthew Liberator? So I viewed it as disappointing because as T-Bone mentioned at the end of our show yesterday, the one thing you can't do is what happened against Oakland last night. You can't have him implode against a triple A team essentially. But on the other side of that, for me, I look at it and say, throw him back out there. And Ollie said it right at the end of that cut post game last night, saying this is the development stage of it. If you're going to develop at the big leagues, you're going to have bad games and you're going to have good games. Make the next one a good game. I'm throwing back out there. I'm throwing him back out there. The next start, the part for me that I've just come to the conclusion with. And after his start last night, I said Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson to me have leapfrogged Matthew Libertor in terms of that 
depth competition after one, start. after one start, but it's not one start. Like it's one start against Oakland, but it's the inconsistency of it. It's four and a third and five earned runs with 10 hits. And then he had the great start against Tampa, but then against Minnesota, it wasn't great. And then against Miami, it wasn't great. Like he's been inconsistent. And the one thing I can say about Dakota Hudson, at least in his last three starts, he's been consistent. The one thing I can say about Zach Thompson, the last two times that he's given them four plus innings, he's been consistent. And unfortunately, Libertor has not been. So I wanted to see him pound the strike zone. Unfortunately, that really wasn't working for him last night. I wanted to see that swing and miss stuff. It came in later. But Matthew Libertor, to me, dipped back a little bit after that start in terms of I'd like to see more of Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want to hear from you guys today. By the way, the YouTube chat is open and available. You can always watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. That's where you find the live stream. Yesterday, Matthew Libertor was asked after the game what went wrong for him. Here's what he had to say post game. I think that might have been the, the catalyst for reverting to some of those old habits a little bit. Um, you know, long first inning, get a little fatigued, and uh, those bad habits kind of kick back in. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're still working through and something I intend on cleaning up. And here was what Ali Marmel had to say after the game on what the Cardinals can do to make sure that Matthew Libertor gets a little bit more of that repeatability in his delivery. There's no guarantee there. That's the whole thing about being a big leader. Like, you have to show that you have the ability to do that. You get opportunities to show that, and that's that's all you can do. Um, so you put a program together, you follow it, you make adjustments along the way, and you grant him the opportunity to show what he's capable of doing. Then he has to show what he's capable of doing. I'm a little more hesitant to make anything declarative today, Alex, than you are. I think that Matthew Libertor yesterday, what you saw is kind of how development tends to look at the big league level. I, I tend to agree there with Ollie. It, it, progress is not linear. We want it to be. We would love for it to be like you go from point A to point B and it's a straight line in between. But what it really is, is it's, it's a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys in between, right? You see Jordan Walker at the beginning of the season goes off to this miraculous start where he's getting this crazy hitting streak. And then he goes down to the minor leagues because he's on the ground too often. He comes back up. He's super hot early on. And you have these issues defensively that exist for him. I feel like lately he had been so much better defensively. And then last night happens where he's got that bad error in right field. There's ups and downs, peaks and valleys in this development of young players at the big league level. We saw it last year with Nolan Gorman as well. I think that's what we're seeing right now with Matthew Libertor. He had an incredible outing against the Tampa Bay Rays. And the reason why I said it then, the reason why I will reiterate it today is because that is what you're hoping for. You hope that something like that can unlock the future of him. But the other thing, what it serves as a fan is that you now know he's capable of that. And so you're going to hold him to that standard afterwards, but we shouldn't. We should just revert back to, okay, he has that in his bag. Now let's hope that he can find some sort of consistency with it. The reason why Jack Flaherty became so maddening this year is because he's no longer a young player. Now he's in the final year of his contract. He's hitting free agency. He's going to be really expensive very soon. If he didn't have the same inconsistency, if if Jack Flaherty's inconsistencies this year were him as a rookie and not as like a sixth year player, I'd be like, hey, Jack Flaherty might be able to turn this thing around. We, We might have something here. That's basically where Matthew Libertor is right now. One outing, pretty good. The next outing, really bad. The next outing, amazing. The best we've seen from him. And then yesterday was terrible. It was just a really bad outing against a really horrendous lineup. 
and there's you just hope that the next time out he gets he gets something a little better for yeah, you. And I'm and by no means am I here saying like I'm done with Matthew Libertor and I don't want to see him again. No, I want to see him every fifth day from here until the end of the season because I hope what Absolutely. you said is true. I hope that he goes back to being the Tampa Bay guys. And if what Matthew said after the game is how he truly felt, okay, well then you know what those bad habits are and you get them out of your system. And Ali was the one that basically told him, which I think was the right move. You're not going back down. We're not shipping you out. You're not going to become a bullpen arm. You're a starter in this rotation the rest of the way. So figure out whatever you need to, to be consistent for us. It's just right now because of the inconsistency with Matthew Libertor. And I get that that's one start, but we just know he's a guy that's going to give up a lot of runs. If the strikeouts aren't there and the strikeouts weren't there until late last night, I'm more inclined to see a bright light with Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson as potential starters for this team next year. And look, all of this too, with a grain of salt, I don't expect any of these guys to be a starter next season for the Cardinals. Frankly, Matthew Libertor should be a number one in AAA next season. The same can be said about Zach Thompson, potentially in your bullpen. The same can be said about Dakota Hudson, but that did give me a little bit more of, okay, let's see a little bit more of Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson. So we've got a couple of texts that I want to respond to. We'll get to John Denton coming up here in just about five minutes or so from the 314. Guys, the Rays game was a fluke. Last game's what's real for Matthew Liberator. Nothing about the Rays game was a fluke, though. The reason why I say that is because there were clear, tangible changes. Sometimes with a hitter, Alex, guy just goes on a hot streak. There's nothing that has changed with this approach. He's hitting the same exit velocity, the same launch angle. Everything about the swing looks the same. But for one month, the results are there. And then the next month, he looks like he's gone cold. Well, what's different? The results. That's it. Nothing about the process has changed at all. We've heard Adam Wainwright talk about that. In the past, he's had people come up to him and ask him, hey, what changed? And he'll say, nothing. Some of those balls that dropped as hits previously are now getting caught behind him. Same thing is true for a hitter. With Matthew Liberator, there were changes. He had changed his velocity. His velocity, instead of dipping like it did last night, where in the fourth inning, in the third inning, he was averaging 92 miles per hour. The previous outing, he was averaging 94 and a half miles per hour at that point in the game. That is a massive change for him late as he gets into a ball game. The other thing is, against the Rays, he was landing his curveball for strikes. Yep. Yesterday, he was not. Those are two very real changes that took place for Matthew Liberator against the Rays that did not happen last night. Now, the question, if you think that was a quote-unquote fluke, I'll disagree with you. But the problem is, why can't that be repeated? Why can't he go out there against the A's and throw the same velocity in the third and fourth innings as he did against the Rays? Why can't he go out there against the A's and have the same curveball landing for a strike as he did against the Rays? That's what they have to get figured out. That's where you have to figure out what can we do between starts to make that more likely. And that's what they're trying to accomplish right now uh, inside of that clubhouse. But that is that is the push and pull of development. That is what you're trying to find is what led to that start against Tampa Bay and how did we get away from that today or yesterday and, against the A's? And my only question and to that would be at what point do you say maybe it's just not in the bag? And it's hard to say that now because he's so young and you haven't got that proper sample size. But at some point when he goes out there, start after start after start, and it's just not working, and then you get that one that is working, at what point do you say, uh, you know what, we might need to find a way to utilize him in a better position? Next year. The rest of and the, that's why I'm year, starting him every fifth day from now until the end of the 100%. season. And it's that, that's my firm stance on him, is Matthew Libertor should get a uh, start every fifth day for the Cardinals right now. 
And then at the end of the year, you regroup and find out where you're at. Yeah. What did the changes look like? How did his delivery go? Was he finding some repeatability there? Was he landing his curveball for strikes? Did he keep the velocity up later in games more often? Maybe it's not every start, more often though. That's what you're looking for the rest of the way with Matthew Liberatore. We'll ask John Denton, Cardinals insider for MLB.com, what he saw from Matthew Liberatore last night, how the Cardinals can get him back on track for the next start, and another big start this evening for Adam Wainwright. What does it mean in the big picture? We'll ask John Denton next year on 101 ESPN. PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the expert on the Cardinals. He's John Denton, Cardinals insider for MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter at John Denton 555. John, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Let's start out with last night's performance by, Ma- by Matthew Liberatore. Uh, rough outing coming off of what was his best start in his Cardinals career. What was different this time around for him? Yeah, you know, BK, last week when I came home from, from St. Pete, I, I told you it was all about velocity. you got to watch velocity with him. And, you know, the, against the Rays last week, it was 95, 96. Uh, I think he was up to 94, uh, 94.3 with his, with his four-seamer. His, his, his sinker was at 95 last week. He had the best outing of his career. And then last night you look, you know, the, the, the velocity on the sinker was 92.9, like it's down again. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ali Marmol said after the game and some of the guys said, you know, this is a young guy. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. But that was a step back last night. You know, last night was really important to see how he was going to follow that up. And, you know, Libertor was pretty upset after the game. And it was very disappointing because you, you want a young guy like that to build off a, off a great effort. And, you know, that was a step back. That was an A's team that's hitting. They have the second worst batting average in franchise history. They came in bat 222, and you know they really knocked him around in the first inning. So that was a step back, and it was it was disappointing to see him unable to build on that good outing last week in Tampa. John, at what point, and I'm going to preface this by saying I understand he is still young and hasn't even pitched 100 innings in the majors yet, but at, at what point do you feel like the optimism starts to dwindle for the Cardinals with Libertor? Well, you you know, you, uh, Alex, you have to remind yourself he's 23 years old, and you know there are going to be ups and downs, and there are going to be, uh, you know, surges where he looks great, and there are going to be times when he takes a step back, and you know, we, the, the fact that he's 23, he's going to get a little more latitude. But you know, the Cardinals have really turned the screws up on him lately. You know, they they have got him to step up his workout routine. Uh, they have him watching more film than ever. Uh, he said he had a great week. He got in a bunch of good workouts. He's doing film work with Dusty every day to try to be more efficient in his mechanics, to try to get everything out of his body. But, you know, they want him to be, you know, he's, he's, he's one of those guys who can't put on weight. They want him to add muscle. They want him to add bulk. They want him to be a, a guy who can sustain it and throw just as hard in the fifth inning as he is in the first inning. And, you know, there's, there's been a little bit of push and pull there, uh, but, but they've really turned the screws up on him and, you know, they thought they thought he made a stride in Tampa. He pitched the the best outing of his career. He said he had never finished an eighth inning ever at any level before. And then you know, last for last night to be a step back was disappointing. But you know, they're they're going to keep they're going to stay on him. They feel like he can be a you know a reliable starter in the future. He's just got to 
be stronger. He's got to be more efficient with his mechanics. He can't fall back into those bad habits like he did last night. We're talking to John Din here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work at Cardinals.com. John, the other thing that came out of last night's game, uh, unfortunately, was Lars Newtbar and Tommy Edmond both leaving the game due to apparent injuries. This is with the backdrop of Nolan Gorman still nursing his back and then Wilson Contreras, who they say is probably going to be available at this point, but he had the hip issue as well. That's a whole lot of position players that are potentially hurting at a minimum and injured at worst. What do you think that means going into today's game? Are you anticipating some roster moves? I think we could see a roster move, you know, because that the, 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 the Lars was in a lot of pain. We'll try to get John Denton back on the line. Uh, I can imagine. He could have ended Lars it with Lars Newtbar was in a lot of pain. pain. I yep. was in a lot of pain watching Lars Newtbar at that, at that point in time. Alex, I, we'll mention this a little bit more later on today. Anytime that specific injury takes place, I just cringe. I sit at home and I say to myself, please don't be the Adier Molina injury. Please don't be the Adier Molina injury. Please don't be A the Adier Molina testy, injury. testy, yeah. Mm, that'll, that'll take the... Uh, that'll you take... have a very different perspective on I this, do. and I think that you're a crazy person I, for I it. am, and maybe... <laughs> I, I I feel bad saying it out loud, no, but when it happened, the only thing I could do was laugh because, first of all, he's grimacing in pain, and I understand that. Like, I've never taken something You're a that, two-year-old, you know that? Yeah, I know. I know, but I've never taken anything that fast off that area, so I can understand the pain that he's in, but there's, there's repercussions that come with it in terms of every broadcast team trying to come up with a different term uh, to explain where he got hit, which always gives us some fun nuggets, and then, well, fun nuggets. You're welcome for that pun. But then the other one, I told you guys this too. I live with a two-year-old and a two-year-old thinks pain is funny in my house. And so I've been stepped on there a couple of times. So I can understand the pain. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's not funny, but when you're watching it, it's a little humorous. All right, John, we've got you back on the line. You said that uh, Lars Newtbar was was in pain, which I can understand. (laughs) Uh, what, What was going from there? Yeah, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Lars didn't end up on the uh, IL. Uh, that was a he. That was quite a shot he took. Tried to stay in the game, you know. He, he took another swing and struck out, and missed, and he tried to make it through the next half inning and ended up having to leave the game. So I would not be surprised at all if if Lars didn't end up on the the injured list. The good news with Tommy is he had an X-ray. There was no fracture. Tommy will probably miss a day, but. There's a good chance they could get Nolan Gorman back today. Nolan made a lot of progress yesterday. The back is feeling better. Uh, I think Contreras will catch tonight. Uh, you know, the hip, he's, he's kind of beyond the hip thing. So I think they'll get those two guys back, but I highly doubt that Lars or Tommy will be in the lineup tonight. So that would signify going after an outfielder, potentially, if you're bringing somebody up, John. Is there is there one guy that you would lean more towards than the other of potentially getting a, a recall? Palacios time, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Juan Yepes had a big night last night. Uh, you know, we all know Juan Yepes has, has got several shots at this thing. Uh, you know, they scored two runs in the playoffs last last October, and they both came off of Juan Yepes's bat. So Juan Yepes uh, believes in his ability. Juan Yepes thinks he should be in the major leagues right now. I know his father thinks the same thing. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think he could be the guy to get the call. Do, do the Cardinals still have a plan with Juan Yepes, John? Like, is he still in their plans for 2024? You know, it, it's debatable. Uh, you know, finding a position for Juan has always been difficult. They, there's no doubt that he can hit at this level. Uh, you know, it, it's it, are they comfortable playing him in the outfield? Are they comfortable using him as a right fielder or a left fielder? Is he a first baseman? Is he a DH? Is he uh 
you know, they even stuck him at third one time last year. Juan's got to find a position where he can, you know, where he can fit in. And, you know, the, the, the numbers just do not favor him right now. You know, when, when Jordan Walker made the team, that pretty much was the kiss of death for, for Juan making the club. And, you know, there there are other guys, uh, maybe Luke and Baker's passed him with the way he's hit the ball in AAA this year. So Juan has kind of fallen down the pecking order. And, you know, he, he may be one of those guys who needs a fresh start in a new organization, which – uh, that w- I wouldn't be shocked if that doesn't happen, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't have a spot on the, the roster next season. John, there's two final things that I wanted to get to with you. The first was the news yesterday with Ryan Helsley uh, getting shut down from his rehab stand or having that kind of push back a little bit again. Uh, what What is the latest with him? Do you think we're going to see him pitch again for the Cardinals in 2023? You know, BK, it, it kind of gets to the point now where you kind of wonder if, if, it's, if it's good to pitch him because, you know, there's nothing on the line. I know Ryan wants to pitch again. He wants to, to feel comfortable, you know, going in the offseason that he's healthy. It's it's weird. Ryan Ryan said that when he was pitching, he totally felt fine. It was between starts every time he was having these these twinges of pain in his forearm. He's having tightness, and, you know, that's been an issue. And he had it five years ago, and he felt like he came back too early and, and damaged it. This time he feels fine when he's pitching. His velo is up there. Uh, but but there's pain in between. He did have an MRI yesterday. The initial results were that that everything was structurally sound, but they've got to find out why he can't recover in between starts. And you know. <laughs> let's try one more time. I've got one last question for John Dan. If we can get him back on and for literally, him come back on one for more one thing. more freaking I, question. I want to hear what he has to say about Wayno, but Alex, we're going to get into this again a little bit later on today with Ryan Helsley. I, I just, I, I agree with Denton. I, I don't think that it's worth pushing it at this point. You're not playing for anything yeah. meaningful. We know what, right. If this was a young guy where you were trying to learn something about him and you're like, Hey, we've got this rare opportunity right now to be able to actually learn something about this player. Sure, maybe then you push and you try to find out what you can uh, get out of him, either at the big league level or down in the Arizona Fall League. You know what Ryan Helsley is at his best. Yeah. And now it's about getting him healthy. That's always been the concern with him. Well, and the thing with that, too, is if you're going to shut him down, which I do believe and agree you should, bring somebody up that you want to find out about. Don't exactly. bring up another guy that you don't care about. Well, well we're not getting into that right Sorry. now. All right, touchy. John, final question for you. We'll get you out of here on this. I know you're a very busy man today. Uh, Adam Wainwright, big start for him tonight against the New York Mets. He made some comments yesterday. Hey, I'm not going to go out there and quit. I would expect that to be his mindset going into this one. However, the real question that matters is what do the Cardinals think about his future in the rotation? How how important is this start for Wayno? I guess is the best way to frame this question, John. Yeah, this this is huge, BK. Tonight, you know, it's 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 weird to think that this could potentially be the last time Adam Wainwright starts a game at Bush Stadium. You know, it's it's bizarre to think about that. Uh, you know, er, you know, er, anybody who knows what Wainwright's meant to this organization is pulling for him tonight and and hopes it goes well. Uh, but they can't keep trotting him out there if he's going to give up eight runs and you know only get three outs. You know, he gave up uh, seven runs against Colorado. He gave up eight runs against Kansas City. He knows he has to be better, and you know this has not gone well. But this is the way it normally goes, BK. I mean, you know, Bob Gibson got pushed to the bullpen at the end of his Cardinal career. I mean, we all remember Willie Mays staggering around in center field and Michael Jordan wearing a Wizards jersey and. You know, Tom Brady throwing interceptions in the playoff. Like last year, what Albert Pujols did was was uncommon. And, uh, you know, I have a newsletter coming out. It'll be out soon. 
uh, Wayno said that he he benefited from seeing how Albert handled last year and. And that'll do it. Poor JD. <laughs> I'll text John off there. We appreciate his time as always. Uh, John Denton joining us here on 101 ESPN. I got the gist of it there. Huge, huge, huge day yeah. for Adam Wainwright. By the way, find his work. He was mentioning his newsletter that's going to come out later today. That is always posted at cardinals.com as well. You can also find him on Twitter at John Denton 555. Alex, I. I am very curious to see what tonight looks like for Adam Wainwright. Yeah. He needs, it doesn't even have to be a great start, just a fine one. If he could go five innings and give up three earned runs, he makes his next start. Full stop. That's it. Somebody on the text line said, guys, why can't they just leave Wayno into the rotation? Uh, there's not, they're not playing for anything meaningful at this point, anyways. And the reason why is because he's not giving you competitive outings. He is completely leaving the bullpen out to dry right now. Like you, you have a question going into tonight's game. If Adam Wainwright's going to get out of two innings, can he give you six outs? And you just can't position yourself that way, man, because you have to, you now have to manage for Wayno's starts the day before he starts the game yesterday to be able to get, what was it? Four and two thirds innings out of Casey Lawrence. Hey, I made a whole lot of jokes when he came up. Good work by him yesterday to be able to save your bullpen. Because if he didn't do that and you had to wear out a couple of guys in that outing, you could have a really big issue going into tonight's game with Wayno on the mound. Yeah, and I think everybody in St. Louis and frankly in baseball are rooting for this one to be better for Wayno because you just hate to see somebody go out the way that it would go out if this struggles for him. But he's got the optimism. He's got the positive mindset. I don't think you're going to change Adam Wainwright's mind, even if he gives up 10 runs in the first inning and can't get through it tonight. I think Wayno's still going to believe he's got enough to get in the tank because frankly, you have to have that if you want to finish the season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up next. What is the better route for the blues to take at this year's deadline? We'll talk about that here at one one ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So T-Bone's cheating on us this week. No other way to put it, really. Unbelievable. He's on the fast lane today. That's why he's not. And if you're wondering why the wonderful Grant Francis is joining us today here on the show, it's because Tanner Hendrickson got the call up to the big leagues. He's big timing us. Alex, I had to podcast our show yesterday. (laughs) 
T-Bone was so busy what after the show. Feel like? He was in there eating his lunch. Oh, my god! As I am podcasting our show. Well, he he's rest. like, hey, I got some stuff to do. I'm I'm co-hosting the Fast Lane today. Frankly, I would say that's just a little bit of weak sauce because you and I have co-hosted the Fast Lane. And, and we've gone podcasted. straight through 100%. from our show to the Fast Lane. We walked uphill both ways to the Fast Lane studio. Yeah. Back in my day, I had to do it barefoot. Now think about that for a second. Hey, I'm so, always here for you guys. Thank you, Back up board operator. You. That's right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He calls himself. That's, it's that. not Alex's words. Number two on the depth chart, but number one in our hearts. Yeah, All technically, right? technically, Matt Rocchio called him a backup board op. So the yeah. reason why I bring that up is because yesterday he also stole one of our segments. Now it's been what? on our it's been on our rundown roughly twenty seven oh, times. And over he's the gonna last act week. like he's gonna act like that was his idea. Exactly. So he also misinterpreted it. He <laughs> stated it yesterday. Just swipe the legs out from under him. At the trade deadline, would you rather see the the Blues go for it and get into the playoffs, or would you rather see them sell? Well, Alex, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm, I'm going to say I would rather see them go for it and get no. into the playoffs. You want to see them win? Yeah. Get the hell yeah, out of here. That's my personal Have you seen opinion. what the Cardinals are doing right now? Top five pick. What I really think the question is, though, is if the Blues are a few games out of it, and it's looking unlikely that they're going to make the playoffs, but there's, there's still a chance. They're not mathematically out of it by any stretch. Do you hold your assets? Do you, do you try to go for it at that point <laughs> if there's no guarantee that you're getting in? Or do you sell them off and kind of do that soft retool kind of thing at the deadline again before really going for it again in the offseason? Here's what Jamie Rivers had to say about that potential possibility at the deadline. And I can guarantee you that that conversation last year between Army and the ownership group of, hey, we're going to be sellers at the deadline, and that means we're probably not going to make the playoffs. I can't imagine that was a very... mm. So if you're going to be a team that's kind of battling for that wild card, if I'm Army, I go out and I acquire a player, you know, kind of Cardinal style. Go acquire a guy that you're really not going to have past this year, mm-hmm. an older guy, a veteran guy, or somebody that you can add at the deadline to get your team into the playoffs. This team here, from a revenue standpoint, is up against the cap every year. Tom Stillman and his group do a great job of keeping the team right there. They need some playoff gates. They need those playoff gates, and Army owes it to the ownership group, and he owes it to the fans to put this team in the playoffs next year, or at least go down swinging. Jamie's a genius. He should be an everyday uh, color analyst for the Valley Sportsman West for the Blues. I've got some good news for you. What? That is exactly what was announced yesterday. When did this happen? Yesterday. Fum. Congratulations <laughs> to him. No, Don't get fired. Yeah, I almost did there. I almost did there. The, the F word came out, but I saved it. It's fine. It's just the two vowels at the end of my name. Look, Jamie nailed it. And I, I would even go one further than what Jamie said because he's right. You do owe it to the ownership group that pays to the salary cap every season to get to the playoffs, but it is dire to the development of your team to get into the playoffs this year because, frankly, the cornerstone pieces that you're building around, specifically Jordan Cairo, all he's known is kind of playoff failures or not playoffs. And that's not a good thing to have for a, a cornerstone piece. I remember, I think it was Marty St. Louis that said it with the Montreal Canadiens that talked about why they kept Jake Allen and gave him a contract extension. And he said, it's because you have to have the culture of winning around a young group of players if you want to have success in this league. And if you don't believe me, go look at the Arizona Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes have just known sell at the deadline, sell at the deadline, sell at the deadline. Now they want to compete. They don't have a taste of what competition is. Fast forward to the LA Kings, who 
had to go through three really bad years, and then they got into the first round of the playoffs, and they lost. They got shellacked. The next year, they got into the playoffs last year, and they lost 4-2 to two to the Oilers. That's development. And for this team, for guys like Cairo, for guys like Thomas, who I know has already tasted the top with the Stanley Cup, but that was as a secondary piece. Now he's the primary piece. Guys like... Um, Jake Neighbors, guys like Zachary Bolduc that'll be in the minors, Zachary Dean, you want to have a taste of what competition in the playoffs feel like. You got to have that failure in the playoffs a couple of times to continue that drive rather than this, well, we're not good enough, so let's just sell it off. And you're not going to go anywhere in that sense. So I'll play the other side. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi last year was traded for a conditional first round pick. Now, Bertuzzi is a very specific style of player. He's got that grit to his game. So maybe it's a little different. But if you get a good season this year out of one of Kapanen, Blay, or Verana, you could potentially get not a first-round pick. I think that's very unlikely. But like a second or a third-round pick is, is, I guess, potentially there for one of those players. And if that's on the table for you, and you're unlikely to make the playoffs. So possible, unlikely to make the playoffs. The math is against you. I could see a scenario where they say to themselves, we're not doing a full-blown sell-off. This is not what last year was, where you're trading O'Reilly, and you're trading Vladdy, and you're trading basically every depth piece that's currently on the roster. Maybe we trade one or two of these guys. We trade Belay. We trade Verona. And we know that those guys aren't going to be back in 2024. So we get that draft pick and then you go into the offseason and you hope that you could trade it for proven pieces or you include it in a package with one of your prospects for a proven defenseman, right? Something like that. I could even see them flipping an asset. So trading a guy like a Verona, let's say, let's say he's got 25 goals at the trade deadline and he's having just this miraculous season from a goal scoring uh situation in Carolina shocker needs somebody to score goals for them in the postseason they say you know what that's the guy we're going to give you a second round pick for him something like that and then they flip that second round pick along with the prospects to go get Noah Hannafin because they think that Noah Hannafin can be a guy that helps them not only this year but in 2024 and beyond and they're going to re-sign him long term similar to what Boston did with uh what's his face the defenseman two years ago where they signed or they traded for him at the deadline oh, Hampus Lindholm and then they re-signed him long term I could see the Blues doing something like that where it's not a full-blown sell-off but it is something where it just makes sense for them long term buy and sell yeah. and we talked about the Cardinals potentially doing that this year at the deadline if they wouldn't have just completely collapsed going into it but I absolutely can see a scenario. I think the conversations begin with what's Sammy Blay. I I wouldn't trade because frankly, for a million dollars and if he's playing well, I think you keep him at best. You're probably going to get a third, third pick for him. And I think you're better off having him. Maybe trying depends, to keep him because teams value that type of player. They do for the playoffs, but I'd so have he's to, having a really good season and yeah. you don't think you're going to be able to resign him. Cause now he's going to be a $3 million player Could be like a instead of a $1 million player. I could see where then it makes a value. Add the question there though, would be, would Sammy Blay consider coming back for cheap in St. Louis? And, and it's possible. I'm going to have that conversation with all three guys, but uh, if you're in contention for a wild card spot and Verona's having an unreal season and somebody comes to you and says, Hey, we got a first round pick. We want Verona. Depending on what my assets are doing elsewhere of Dean and bull Duke, I'll flip them because if I can get a first round pick for him and still be competitive, I'll consider that because a first round pick could do something for me either at the deadline or in the off season in terms of making my team better. But I, I, 
I would have to have the conversation with the player first because sure. if there's a shot that I can have him and I'm competitive, I'm going to keep him because a first-round pick where, let's say, you trade Verona to a team that's top three in their division, that's going to be a 25th overall pick. And although that player might be good for you four or five years from now, I'd much rather keep Verona for a potential playoff run and then take the take the benefits of having that playoff run under my skin for all of those players that I had on my roster. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And like, if there's a, a very, like if you have a 60% chance of making the playoffs, none of this is what we're talking about really matters because then they're going to go for it. They're, they're going to try to make the playoffs this year. They won't go all in, but they'll give themselves the best opportunity to make it in because those gate receipts really matter for the St. Louis Absolutely. Blues, the money, the revenue, like forgetting just, Setting aside for a moment, and this also matters, but the winning pedigree and all that stuff, that's really nice. The money is what really matters to the organization because they make significant revenue off of those gates. Somebody on the text line from the 217 says, guys, are you bleeping serious? How can we talk blues and trade deadline 45 days before the season even begins? Because I think it's important to set up expectations of where this team is, where they're heading and what the mentality should be, not from the players on the team. They're always going to go into every game trying to win. Or the coaches, same thing. From the front office. How do they view this season? Is this an all-in year? I think we all agree no. Is this a year where you can make the playoffs, though? <clears throat> yes. Because as I look to last year, and I think about it, I asked you guys this question before the show today. How many players on last year's Blues team outperformed expectations and I'm not, not talking about the guys they got at the deadline because every one of them did players that were on the team on opening night how many of them outperformed what you thought they could do last season is there one <laughs> like if I set the over under at 0.5 can you name one player last year that clearly outperformed what you expected out of them I'd say maybe Pavel Buchnevich was the only one but I mean even for him, it wasn't above and beyond what was expected of him. Uh, I'd say he reached expectations, but I wouldn't say he outperformed his expectations. Alex, do you have somebody? I, I do. People are going to hate me for this. Biddington would be the one that no, I'd put on this. <laughs> I, I mean, the numbers don't back it up, but take Jordan Bennington's regular season's performance in terms of the individual from two years ago to last season and tell me that that goaltender did not improve in the regular season. He, he did. Better, yeah. He did. The defense was awful, but he he improved. So he would be the one that outperformed my expectations because I expected him to lose his job like he did to Huso. But other than him, there is not one person I can hear an argument for that outperformed their expectations. It's kind of wild, right? Like, yeah. The reason why I bring this up is because I don't think that's going to happen again. Now, I'm not saying all of them are going to outperform expectations, but typically you get somebody. Like, you look at the Cardinals this season. Brendan Donovan outperformed my expectations. Lars Newport, I would say for a casual observer, probably outperformed what your expectations were of him this season. So, you've even in a terrible season for the Cardinals, you can point to guys, Nolan Gorman, maybe outperformed expectations compared to what he did last year. On a horrible team, in the worst season for the franchise in 15 years and probably even beyond that, they had a few guys outperform what you thought they could do. Yep. The Blues last year had none. Because even with Pavel Buchnevich, man, the dude missed 20 games because of infections that were in his foot. And yes, while he was a very good player, I expected him to be yep. the best player on the team going into last year. I don't think there was a single guy for me that significantly outperformed what I thought they were capable of going into last year. And this year, I do believe my bold take. Somebody's going to surprise us. Yep. 
I don't know right now who that's going to be. It might be Sammy Blay, who we just talked about. It could be Verona. It could be Kapanen. Maybe Robert Thomas goes out there this year and it's like, oh, this is the guy we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Number one center, good in all situations, puts up 20 goals, 75 to 80 points by the end of the year. All right, this is the guy well, that we were waiting for. Hell, Kevin Hayes, who they just well, added, absolutely. could totally come in and surprise all of us well, because he's a consistent 50-point producer. And you got to bring up the defenseman, too. Like, every defenseman on this team had a historically bad season for themselves individually. Do you really expect all six, maybe eight guys that are on this team to be as bad, if not worse, than what they were last year? I just don't. So if one of them outperforms what they did last year, you're talking about a significant increase. Yeah, so that's the problem. That was my thought process with it was I don't even think you need a lot of players or really any players to outperform their expectations. I think they just need to get back to what their career average is. <laughs> just get back to the player that you've been for the majority of your career. Because last season, you can't say that about really any of the Blues players. If you get two, I, I'm serious, two of your defensemen to play at their career norms, everything changes about the outlook of the team for 2023. Mm-hmm. Like if Justin Falk is just... Not even a Norris Trophy candidate or anything like that, but an above-average second-pairing defenseman. And if the same thing is true for one of Pareko or Tori Krug, man, we're going into this season and we're like, okay, I could see how this thing kind of comes together. Yep. That doesn't mean that you're a Stanley Cup contender, but it could put you into the conversation of, all right, the Blues are a top six, six to seven yeah. team in the Western Conference And now. that's progress from what you were last year. And now you look at it going into 2024, and you're like, all right, we're building around these two defensemen. We know what our front top six-ish looks like for us. We've got these young guys that are on the way. Now let's go make the big ad. Yep. And you know where you need it. Maybe it's on the defensive core to get that number one top pairing defenseman. Maybe it's a number one center. Maybe it's a top pairing wing. Like, you, it just allows you to have a little more flexibility going into the offseason. You need two of those top four defensemen to really play up to expectations. Not exceed them, play up to them. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. By the way, if you haven't checked us out yet, go ahead and check us out on YouTube. At 101 ESPN STL is where you can go to find it. Let's start with this from the 636. Guys, what do you think is the best possible outcome for Verona and Kapanen this season? What is their ceiling in 2023 with the Blues? Verona, I would say ceiling is it like realistic ceiling or like unrealistic ceiling? I mean, if they can attain it, that would be their ceiling. 30 Kev- goals for me, for Verona. For Verona, see, I would say 35 to 40 goals. I mean, Kevin Allen, who covers the team in Detroit, who saw Verona when he was acquired from Washington all the way until he was traded away, said we all entered each season predicting 40-plus goals from Jakub Verona. And if he's playing top six role, which I fully anticipate him to, I would say 35 to 40 goals for him, which seems insane. But over the last two seasons in 51 games, he scored 25 goals. So that is a pace of about 35 ish. Yeah. So And, and, and for Kapanen, I, 
I think Kapanen, let, let's not forget, this guy was a first-round draft pick back in 2014. He was utilized as a fourth-line player. No, if you're a first-round pick, that means you're going to be good in the NHL. Really? Look you're going to bring Logan Brown back up and throw him in my move. face. Throw him in my face. What about Tage Thompson? You want to throw that one in my face? That one worked out. He better. worked out well. I think Kapanen's a 15-goal guy. I don't think he's anything. He's been a 20-goal guy, but that was best case scenario and I don't see him being a top six winger for you so I would say 15 goals I think for Kapanen yeah something like that 15 goals for Kapanen I would just want to see him play a full 200 foot game really well he's gonna be penalty killer for you for sure like I don't even necessarily look at the statistics and the uh, goal production and that he the could analytics put up. yeah don't need any of that Get with that Kapanen. trash out of here. I just I want to see Kasperi Kapanen play a really good, reliable 200 foot game, which is what the Blues really need, obviously. Yeah. Um, mm. But for Verona, I think uh, saying 30 mm. goals, maybe I'm uh, thinking on the lower side of that just to uh, level my expectations, expectations. Keep, keep myself uh, even happier for when it happens. Yeah. I mean, look, the guy is one of when he played for about a three year stretch, which, again, you have to have that caveat. He was one of the best five on five goal scorers in the NHL. Yeah. I also think he's going to get a ton of power play opportunities. Oh, he'll be on the number one so, power play unit with Kyrou and Thomas. I would say 35 goals. Here's the thing, though. 50 points. He he basically, oh, he, he basically <laughs> he never pass. distributes. Yeah, so he's right. a pure goal scorer. Don't expect this guy to go out there and if he has 35 point, or 35 goals put up like 80 points this season. That is about, man? He had 23 and 27 assists with Washington. Yeah. Don't expect that here. Because uh, Ovechkin said, pass me the damn puck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> from the 636, guys, which Blues players do for a breakout and who is due for regression? Can I start on this one? Uh, nobody's going to be happy with trade, Sonny. Nobody's going to be happy with me for saying this. The player that is most likely going to regress this season compared to what we saw from them here last year is Sammy Blay. Oh, I agree with you. Sammy Blay's not putting up a goal per like three games on a fourth line. He had a 25% shooting percentage. It's the same thing that I said about Barbie. That is unsustainable relative to his career norms. Some people shoot at 23%. Some people are just unbelievable shooters and they make their goals on a higher rate. Sammy Blay is not one of those he's, players. He's on a fourth line role. Like he's not playing top nine unless somebody is injured. And you're just not going to get the opportunities to score goals the way you would when you played in the top so nine he, last season. He would be my regression candidate. If we're talking about a breakout candidate this year, I think we said it yesterday. Jake Neighbors would be my guy. Yeah, I think Jake Neighbors has a chance to be a 15 goal producer for you this year. Put up. 40 points and you leave the season feeling like okay that's a really good third line winger yeah uh, neighbors or Perunovic would be the two for me because if Perunovic gets an opportunity and stays healthy I think you're going to be looking at somebody that you're like oh damn we need this guy more especially on the power play in terms of regression I look at a player like Nick Letty and think man I I he he regressed significantly last year and I don't know as he continues to get older if that's going to Go back in the proper direction, especially if you're in a top four role. So uh, unless this Mike Weber comes in and really has success with this defense, with his mentality and game plan, Nick Letty would be my regression candidate. I could see where you say Sammy Blay, too, just because of how well he did. And I mean, let's be honest, there's only a few players that you can look at and say, well, they can be worse than last season. Yeah. Um, so Sammy Blay is one of those players. But yeah, I, I think... 
Um, Perunovic is one of them for sure. But the reason why I like Jake Neighbors in that conversation of breakout is because you saw what he did last year and how much he improved from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So what is he going to do coming into the season, sort of knowing that he has this role, he doesn't have to fight for it. And he can be just, I don't want to say comfortable with it, but he can have an expectation of knowing that he's going to have that opportunity and really run with it rather than worrying about staying up and not making mistakes and, you know, doing all of those things. So uh, I love Jake neighbors for that coming up next tonight could be a rough night for Adam Wainwright. We're hoping that it's not, but if it is, will it be the final time that we see him start at Bush stadium? we got to discuss that possibility next year on one one ESPN with threats to our nation waiting around every corner. Adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's, it's weird to think that this could potentially be the last time Adam Wainwright starts a game at Bush Stadium. You know, it, it's bizarre to think about that. Uh, anybody who knows what Wainwright's meant to this organization is pulling for him tonight. And But they can't keep trotting him out there if he's going to give up eight runs and you know only get three out. You know, this has not gone well, but this is the way it normally goes. That was John Denton earlier today on with us talking about the possibility that this could be Adam Wainwright's final start tonight for the Cardinals. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. T-Bone off today. He's helping out the fast lane from two to six. Alex, Adam Wainwright is making the start tonight against the New York Mets. It will be a nationally televised game on Fox. In his last two outings, he has given the Cardinals a total of four innings. He has given up 15 earned runs. He has struck out five and walked two. 15 earned runs. Not walking, guys. In four innings. That is good, quote unquote, for a 33.75 ERA. Alex, I'm going to give you his ERA by month so far this year. In the month of May, 6.2. June, 9. July, 6.3. August, 33. He has the third worst ERA of any starter to make at least 15 starts in a season in Major League Baseball history. And so when we have the discussion that we are about to have, that's why. It's because he's been non-competitive, not just relative to the other Cardinal starters this season, but relative to any consistent starter in the history of Major League Baseball. Nobody is rooting against Adam Wainwright. Let's make that very clear up front. But we have to have some legitimate conversations about this because that's where the Cardinals are at right now. They're having them internally. 
after his last start, they had to regroup and figure out, do we give him another one? They're going to do the same thing tonight, Alex. If this goes poorly against the New York Mets, I would pull the plug. I would say, that's it. We, Wayno, if you want to stick around, if you want to continue pitching, you want to finish this thing out because you view this as like, when I was a kid, my parents would never allow me. If I had signed up for a sport, I had to stick it through, right? Even if I hated it, you got to make it through the season. That's just something you gave your commitment. You stick to that commitment. Maybe that's something that Wayno's going to have, right? Wayno gave his commitment to the Cardinals. They paid him $17 million. He is going to stick to that commitment all the way through this season. Totally fair. But if you do that and tonight goes poorly, it's going to be coming out of the bullpen. You take Casey Lawrence's spot where Cardinals are in a bad situation. You got to go out there and eat those innings for them. Mm-hmm. That that will be the new role for Adam Wainwright, most likely. But if this thing goes poorly tonight, I've got to look to Drew Rom. I've got to look to Michael McGreevy or Gordon Graceffel or Adam Kloffenstein or Sam Robersay. One of these guys that are starting at AAA, they will then be more deserving of the opportunities that exist currently at the big league level than Adam Wainwright. And yes, I say that with the full understanding and acknowledgement of what Waino has been for this team for the last 15 plus years. I get all of that. But at some point, you got to say, you're not competitive right now. You're putting us in a bad spot. We got to give these kids some opportunities in this rotation if it's not going to get better. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a split between wanting to honor the legacy of a legacy player and developing your, your organization. And that's where they're at right now. You're at those crossroads where you have to part from Adam Wainwright if it goes poorly. And it sucks to say because Wayno's, Wayno in his mind is going to say, even if he gets lit up tonight, I still got it in me. I need one more start. Yep. And the Cardinals can't fall into that. Not that it's a bad thing to fall into it, but they they can't have that emotional side of it saying, no, we'll give you one more, Adam. Maybe we'll give you one more at the end of the season, at final start at Bush Stadium, which I fully anticipate him making that start. But if it goes poorly here, for the health of your organization development, you have to say, sorry, Wayno, it's either bullpen or IL stint. Because now we, with Steven Matz on the injured list, now we have an opportunity to see what four guys have every day. Michaelis is going to be getting those starts. Hudson, Libertor, Thompson, and then let's go down into the minors. Drew Rum, McGreevy, Graceffo, all of these guys, give them the opportunity. And I'm sure Wayno understands that because Wayno had to get that breakthrough moment for him to get the opportunity. And if it goes to the bullpen, you're still pitching. If you have to do an IL stint, you get that last start at Bush Stadium. But the emotional side of this is just going to have to be ripped off like a Band-Aid after the start. I look at what Drew Rom did. Uh, he, he pitched again last night in his two starts for the Cardinals in the minors. He's gone uh, 11 innings, allowed two hits, two earned runs, has struck out 18, and has walked just four. He is the guy that they got in the, um, in the Jack Flaherty deal with the <clears throat> Baltimore Orioles. I have no idea if what he does is going to work at the big league level. No clue. I don't know how anybody could possibly tell you with any sort of definitive statements that it will. But man, it looks good right now down in in AAA. He is a guy that throws like 90 miles an hour. He's got some pretty deceptive stuff. It's a good spin rate on it. He's 23 years old. I'd like to find out the rest of the way if that works. You have to. I'm not going to do that, though, if... Wayno pitches well tonight. Mm -hmm. If Wayno pitches well tonight, all of the stuff that we're talking about right now, put it off to the back burner. Because then you go back to the, ah, we're trying to get him 200. Yeah. And I've got no issues with that. The season doesn't matter. It's over. It's off to the, like, if you can start 
on a regular basis right now, Taylor Motter and look each other in the eyes and say, we're doing what we have to do, then so be it. That's where we're at as an organization right now. That's where the Cardinals have to acknowledge, hey, the season's gone awry. It is what it is. 200 is more important than anything else. But that's only the case if you think there's any sort of a attainable chance for Wayno to go out there and get to 200. And over his last couple outings, he's given you no reason to believe that that is the case. So you went to Wayno. My guess is you said, hey, we're going to do everything we can to make sure in your next outing it goes better. And if it does, you earn more. But we're not going to go throw this bullpen because you've said previously your best stuff is in the bullpen. We're going to eliminate that. We're going to get you your best stuff in your start. See if that works. If it does, great. We'll keep going that route. If it doesn't, though, man, every other variable has been checked. You're healthy. You went on the IL. You rehabbed. You got back to where you wanted to be. You uh, skipped your bullpen. Like You have seen everything that you can. You went up against the Kansas City Royals, a terrible offense, and you got shellacked in that one. At a certain certain point in time, the organization has to look at you and say, hey, man, there's only one variable left, and it's you. Yeah. And at this point, we have eliminated every other potential explanation for why this is going poorly. Now we have to eliminate the one other explanation, and it's Adam Wainwright from the rotation. So I, I hope it doesn't go that way. If Alex, if it does go poorly tonight, somebody on the text line said, I hope that Wayno doesn't get uh, booed tonight. That's not going to happen. get booed at Bush Stadium. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. Twitter is not real life, guys. And <laughs> I know that people get so angry on Twitter about Adam Wainwright. When you go to these games, it reminds me a lot of the Matt Carpenter discourse. I would see our text line about Matt Carpenter, and then I would go to games. Dude, Matt Carpenter was one of the favorite players out at Bush Stadium every yeah. single night. People celebrated him like crazy. I think the same thing will be true tonight. People know what we're watching. If you're going down to Bush Stadium tonight, and you're going down there to watch the Cardinals, you also know in the back of your mind, I might be watching the last time that Adam Wainwright takes that mound in a Cardinals uniform. A couple of texts that we're getting. One, someone says, what if he goes five innings and gives up five runs or takes the loss after he pitches? Well, look, this has nothing to do with wins or losses. If he pitches competitively, then he's going to get the next start because you're still chasing 200. This is all about if he can't make it out of an inning and is getting lit up like he did in his last start. The other one from the 314 says, guys, this is total BS. For what he's done to the organization, he deserves every opportunity for 200. He has. Yes. No other player on that roster would be given the grace and the opportunities that Adam Wainwright has been given to even go out there tonight. Every other player would have been replaced already. Because they would have been replaced after that one-inning performance. Every sentiment of people saying, oh, well, what are you even playing for? It benefits you to have Wayno out there because you're losing. No, look, what you're playing for is 2024, and you're playing to develop your internal options. And Drew Rom, who has been lighting up the strike zone and picking up strikeouts in his couple of starts since he's been acquired – should be getting a look at this level, but he can't get a look, one, because of the 40-man roster, which that's another story, but two, it's because Wayno's in this rotation, and Hudson's in the rotation, and Libertor's in the rotation. You don't even have a spot right now for Zach Thompson to get him opportunities. I'm assuming that's going to happen sooner or later, but you're not just going to throw him back out there, one, because that's not right to Wayno to let him go out there if he can't get through an inning, but two... At some point, you have to look at this and say 2024 is our focus now, and we've got to figure out what Rom and Graceffo and McGreevy and all of these guys are 
so that we can clear this minutia of pitching depth and do something about it in the offseason. Is there any merit to the argument that the Cardinals would want to just keep running him out there to put butts in seats? Just the fact no. that he's Have going seen, out to pitch. Say, someone took a picture of Bush last night. I mean, there was nobody there. Yeah. Granted, it was the Oakland Athletics, but I, I mean, still, like, yeah. I, I if the Cardinals were winning, there'd be merit. And you're only but, putting butts in seats one out of every five days for that. And I don't think that's something that the Cardinals benefit no, from. That, that's not what they're doing right now. They're, they're doing this because, like, it's a valid question, though, because everybody's asking that. I understand why people think that this is just what they're saying. It, it is true. Cardinals value the legacy stuff like they do. I'm watching winning time right now with the L.A. Lakers. Right. And they one of the episodes, um, this is about the Showtime era Lakers. They're talking about how this is like the early stages of free agency in the NBA. They're talking about how they're going to give one of their players a long term extension and it's overpaying for what he's done for them. And the owner says, yeah, but it's going to look good to the other guys that we can bring into our organization that we take care of our own. That's how the Cardinals view it. The Cardinals have a very similar mentality to what the Lakers do. The Lakers have held that mentality for the last 40 years. They did it with Kobe Bryant, where at the end of his career, they way overpaid for what he was at that point in his career. But it's Kobe Bryant. You're going to keep him happy. You want him to be a career Laker, right? So the Cardinals do the same thing. They did it with Yadier Molina, where they did overpay him at the end. Three years, $60 million was more than what a catcher of his ilk at that point in his career was quote-unquote worth on the open market. doesn't matter. It's Yadier Molina. You figure it out. Adam Wainwright, one year, $17.5 million. Could he have gotten that elsewhere this offseason? I'm skeptical, but it doesn't matter because it's Adam Wainwright and for the Cardinals. It's a legacy player. We keep him here. That's worth whatever the money is that is involved. The same thing is true about him getting opportunities right now. The reason why he's even getting tonight is because he's Adam Wainwright. So that's why they're doing it is because of the legacy aspect of this. Somebody on the text line from the 636 says, guys, we're playing guys like Taylor Motter in the infield. We let 35-year-old dudes come in and pitch last night. What are you talking about? Why does it hurt to help him go out there and get two more wins, finish his career with 200? The season is already over. What it hurts is that at a certain point in time, when a pitcher is pitching as poorly as Wayno has, you have completely put yourself behind the eight ball. And then it has a trickle-down effect. If Wayno goes two innings tonight, and then he goes two innings in his next start, and three innings in the one after that, whatever. Well, now, when you have the next day starter, they have a little bit more added pressure to them. Guess who tomorrow's starter is? Zach Thompson. Do you guys want to evaluate him? Or do you want him looking over his shoulder at all times because he knows, uh uh-oh, yesterday, Wayno went two innings, bullpen's fried, I got to make up for it. I don't want him going out there trying to be something that he's not. I want to be able to evaluate those young starters. So that's that's part of why this is the case. The other thing is, man, at a certain point in time, you just got to say enough is enough. And if you've got a 33 ERA in your last three starts, <laughs> like, what, what do you want from me, man? That that There comes a certain point in time where you have to say, we can't do this any longer, despite what you mean to this organization. Again, I also think you have to look at the other side of it. Like, Wayno is going to be the ultimate optimist no matter what. Wayno's yep. going to say he's still got it in him, but... Do you really think Wayno wants to be remembered at the end of his season this way? I would much rather see Wayno in an opportunity of one or two innings. And I know people are saying the guy can't get through one inning to start. Now you're going to use him as a long man because I'm not relying on him to go out there and say, we need to get you that win. Now you're coming out of a bullpen in certain situations. I, I just don't know if you want to end his career with a bloated 66 ERA at the end of the season. 
somebody else says, guys, it doesn't affect the bullpen. All you got to do is piggyback off of him with whatever kid you're wanting to evaluate. If you feel like you have to piggyback off of him in every start, then you're not you're not confident at all that he can get through five. And, and the only way he can qualify for the win that he's doing this for is to get through five. So it, th- that's the biggest thing is. And how are you evaluating that player that's piggybacking off of it? It, it? You're not giving him an actual start. He's then going through a very different routine than he would if he was getting the start. I understand this is this is a very unique situation. But guys, the Cardinals did this with Bob Bleep and Gibson. <laughs> they did. If you think that it can happen to Bob Gibson, then it can happen to Adam Wayne. The man who said he was so competitive that he pissed blood, Trevor Rosenthal put that out a couple of days ago on Twitter. They put him in a bullpen. And then he went home. Yeah. <laughs> He was so prideful that he said, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to be a show pony that you guys throw out there as a legacy player. Bob Gibson, it went so wrong for him in his final season that he packed up his stuff and said, I'm done. Before the season came to a conclusion. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Wayno, But what I'm saying is if that can happen to Bob Gibson for the St. Louis Cardinals then yes, the conversation that we're happening having right now with Adam Wainwright is fair. It's justified. And it can take place to Waino as well. I know everybody wants him to get to 200. I get it. I do too. Yeah. But sometimes you have to look at, look everybody in the eyes and say, are we doing what's best? Is this actually for the best at this point? They've tried. They've tried. They've tried again. They gave him all of the opportunities you could possibly ask for. And he gets one more. And if it goes well tonight, hell, if it goes okay tonight, then he gets another. But if it goes poorly, even remotely as poorly as it has the last two outings, at some point, you got to cut your losses and say, Wayno, we love you. We want you to be around. We think you're a great leader. If you want to do that out of the bullpen, great. If you want to, if there's something affecting you health-wise, we'll put you on the IL. But we can't do this anymore with you in our rotation every five days. I hope that ends up being the silliest thing in the world by tomorrow. But there absolutely has to be a conversation about that potential because it is a very real potential for tomorrow. Coming up next, the Cardinals probably aren't bringing up Mason Wynn by the end of the day today. And guys, we say this as Mason Wynn apologists. That's okay. We'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. are likely to have to make a roster move today alongside Alex and Grant on BK yesterday Alex you had two injuries that took place Tommy Edmond and it sounds like his is going to be okay earlier today we talked to John Denton Cardinals insider for MLB.com said hey the foul ball that went off of his leg x-rays were negative positive that's a good thing um they're just trying to figure out where he's going to be at today we should know more on his status in the next couple hours or so Lars Newport much more questionable you found that injury so. to be funny. I very much did not. I don't want to go through it. I'm just, 
I find the whole yeah, surrounding. Yeah, you're a two year old where you see your dad get punched in the face. You're like, ha ha, that hurt. <laughs> I can't deny it. Sometimes when people use certain words, I laugh at it still. It's a little kid at heart, right? I'm rewatching The Sopranos right now, and Tony Soprano has the same exact humor <laughs> as, as a, you do. Okay, so it's an Italian thing. <laughs> I guess so. No. Man, when he went down, I'm like, oh gosh, that's great. When they showed the replay, I said, no, no more. No more. Oh, see, that's where we're different too. When they show replays, <laughs> I like pause and rewind and slow like mow it so I could see how it actually impacted the area. I can't remember which broadcast it was, but there was another baseball broadcast the other night where somebody got hit in the nether regions as well. And the broadcaster said, well, you get one replay. We're showing this one time and then no more. You cut it off after that. Um, but yeah, so Lars Newbar, I, he might go on the injured list, man. He should go on the damn injured <laughs> list. Are you kidding me? I would retire personally. Oh. Oh, yeah, I would I would have retired then and there if he does. I think there's going to be a lot of calls for the Cardinals to bring up Mason Wynn today. No, guys, I do not think that's going to happen. And I don't think it should happen. Allow us to explain. <laughs> I Please. think I want Mason Wynn up as soon as humanly possible with one little caveat. Mason Wynn should not arrive at this point, especially now that you've waited this long until there are 45 days remaining in the season and he needs to get fewer than 130 at bats because those are the two qualifications for him to retain his rookie status for 2024. That affects both he and the Cardinals. If he retains his rookie status for next year and wins rookie of the year, the Cardinals can get a draft pick. That's really nice for the Cardinals. He can also get a bonus check, which is even better for him. That's really nice for Mason Wynn. You combine the two things. This is mutually advantageous for both sides to keep Mason Wynn in the minors for about the next three days or so. We're not talking about holding him down there until September 1st. I think that would be ridiculous, but we're a few days away. By this time next week, we should probably see Mason Wynn in the Cardinals lineup. But today, if you are forced to make a roster move because of what took place yesterday with the injuries... I think you have three options, Alex. None of them are particularly exciting. (laughs) Moises Gomez is one option. Yeah, yeah, a little poppy. Juan Yepes is another option because this team needs another DH. (laughs) And Baker's been fine. Richie Palacios is the third option. I would personally lean Richie Palacios. I don't think you have a center fielder on the roster if Lars Newbar goes on the injured list. I don't think you have another option there. Like yesterday, they had, oh. had to put Tyler O'Neill out there. Little Poppy can play there. No, he cannot. Baseball reference has positions right field, left field, center field. He's not a center fielder. He might be as bad defensively as Jordan Walker. I didn't realize he's had 23 home runs this season, which is uh, more than he had last year. In uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. He had 39 last year combined between yeah. two places. Never mind. So... I think Richie Palacios would be the guy that I would bring up. He has been playing center field, if I'm not mistaken, for the Memphis Redbirds. He, I'm not going to sell you guys something that doesn't exist. Richie Palacios is not somebody that you should be super excited about. But he could play center field capably, and for the next three to four days, that's probably what you For people that are getting get up in arms with Mason Wynn not being recalled at this time, because we know there will be certain people that do, you went this long without Mason Wynn, what's three more days? It's like my parents used to tell me around Christmas time. Like, you made it this far, kid. You got three more days. Just wait until Christmas. Mason Wynn will be here. But why waste a rookie opportunity? And maybe he has no shot of winning the rookie of the year next year. But I'm going to give myself the opportunity. And if I waste that because Lars Newtbar got hit in the newts last night, (laughs) 
just to get Mason Wynn up here. I'm not going to do that. Give me three more days of Taylor Motter and Jose Fermin in your infield. And then what would this be? This would be the start of the next series. So Sunday, Monday, call up Mason Wynn and he's in my lineup. Yeah, Monday you travel to Pittsburgh. He can travel to Pittsburgh yeah. with them. And, and, and I like the idea of Palacio, mostly because I already know what Yepes is. John Denton basically told us, like, there's really no rule for him. You know what Moises Gomez is, according to BK, not a center fielder. Yeah, according to everybody. So the only one that I don't know about is this, this Richie Palacio who's hitting 300 in Memphis. Let's find out if you can be a better version of Oscar Mercado for next year. And if it fails miserably, well, then I can check that off the list for next season also. How do you feel about your execution on Lars Newtbar got hit in the newts. I feel like it should have been Lars got hit in the newts. Yeah, I shouldn't have said Newtbar, but I also didn't let it. I didn't let it simmer. Yeah, I actually just poured that glass of wine and jer- drank it. I didn't let it aerate. Sl- aerate. Thank you. I was going to say I didn't know the proper word for that. I'm not a wine connoisseur. If you no. don't know that about me, uh, but I'm starting yeah. to get into it a little more. Are you? Yeah. yeah I, I uh Are you I, an Ita- Are you a typical like my grandma? I dabble. My grandma, full full Italian. She read. Red wine, always three uh, three ice cubes in it. Oh, time. no, I don't do ice cubes in wine. No. no. I think it's, I'm, a, I I'm think more it's red... an older Italian, like, grandma type yeah. of thing. I'm more red wine, though. Yeah. Katie and I do the red wine. Grant, you get into the wine at all? Uh, no, it gives me heartburn terribly. <laughs> okay. So, well, no. All of it gives hey, me heartburn. Could you say that he got neutered last night, maybe? I'll go Hell away. yeah, Grant! That's what we're talking about! Yeah! I was, was I was waiting on that for for a couple seconds. That was fantastic. I knew you'd like that, oh, Alex. Oh god, that's so good. It's a proud moment for me. God, that's amazing. It's a cancer. That's what it is. Hey man, don't jump in on Grant's moment right now. He's gonna he's gonna live off of that for the rest of this segment. Decandy's nuts. <laughs> NFL quick hitters is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex and Grant on BK. T-Bone out today. He'll be on the fast lane from 2 to 6. He got the call up to the big leagues. We'll see if he's a 4A player, if he could really hang around. 4A, 3A player. Triple A? 2A player. Okay. All right, let's Single A. Speaking of 4A players, Alex Ferrari. Nice. <laughs> Why are All we right. talking about Luke and Baker here? Whoa, 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 whoa. Chill out. He was good last night. Um... Let's not make that turn at third, big boy. Let's <laughs> let's stay there. We'll get you home on the next day. Yeah, we were we're good with runners in scoring position, my man. ESPN put together a list of their ceilings and floors for all 32 teams. Alex, I think the list is flawed, and I'll tell you why. For every team, they had a gap between the ceiling and the floor of being five games. So, like for example, the Buffalo Bills, they say their ceiling this year is going 13 and four. Their floor is eight and nine. So there's a five-game gap between their ceiling and their floor. They did the same thing for every team, right? Not necessarily like every team could win 13 games, but the New England Patriots, ceiling of 10 wins, floor of five. I don't think that's the case. I think there are certain teams that have a wider gap between what their ceiling can be and what their floor can be, depending on, you know, the circumstances of the season. In your opinion, Alex, who do you think has the widest gap? between their ceiling and their floor this year. So like you could see them going 12 and five, but you could also see it going five and 12. If things go horribly right for that team, who is that for you? Oh man, this is a good one. I would say, I would say Detroit's probably that team. I like that mostly because I can see that team 
kind of in the same ilk in terms of ceiling as the Buffalo Bills. I could see them being an 11, 12, 13 win team. They've got all of the offensive power, but I can also see them being a massive floor team to where you're talking about a sub 500 roster and talking about potentially one of the bottom dwellers in the NFL. I could see that being that wide of a margin with that team because they still are in that development stage. I think for me, my team would be the Green Bay Packers. I thought about them too. And the reason why is because I have no idea what Jordan Love is going to be. Jordan Love to me is one. I I think the NFC North is a really good spot to find this because somebody's got to win the damn division. And somebody's probably going to be a lot better than we expect in that division. The favorite seems to be Detroit, but it could be Minnesota. Chicago could technically do this. Green Bay is my pick because I think their defense should be pretty good. They've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think their offense should be pretty good. They've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball as well. But Jordan Love is the question mark. man. Yeah. If he comes in and is solid, if he can be Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, that mid-tier level starter this year with a little more mobility than the guys that I just mentioned, okay, you'll be fine. And you could win 10, 11, maybe even 12 games if things all go your way, kind of like Minnesota last year. But it's also entirely possible that he is just awful. Like, he just might be a terrible quarterback for the Packers this year. And if that ends up being the case... Dude, they could fall to the basement in the NFC North, win six games, five games, and we look next year at, oh, that's the team that is going to get the a top three pick and has to pick their quarterback next year. Yeah. So I think the gap for them is wider than just about any other team in the NFL. The right other now. one that I came up with, too, are the Browns. Uh, just because... Depending on what happens with yeah, Deshaun. Yeah. I mean, if Deshaun's not the same quarterback he once was, you're talking about another team that should be a bottom dweller. But if Deshaun's the guy that they thought he was when they traded for him, and you're talking about having Garrett Wilson on that roster, and you're talking about Miles Garrett on like defense, that. that should be a, a, a clear-cut playoff team. So they'd be another one. I was thinking about the Steelers, too, because of Kenny Pickett. And I've seen some things that said that he's had a really good training camp and all that. So he could be a wild card going into the season. The Steelers have always been a team that's had a pretty solid defense so if they can straighten things out offensively they could be a team that uh takes some opportunity in that afc north all right let's do some fantasy here alex fantasy football question for you let's go to the first round these are the top 12 picks i'm going to read off these names and i want you in the back of your mind to think to yourself who is the player that when you take them you are the most afraid of what the outcome is going to be like you like it but you're terrified of what the season's going to be for one reason or another these are their first round picks right now in your typical average fantasy football draft. Justin Jefferson, Christian McCaffrey, Jamar Chase, Tyreek, Eckler, Kelsey, Cooper Cup, Diggs, Barkley, Bijan Robinson, CeeDee Lamb, and Nick Chubb. Those are the top 12 players right now in your typical fantasy draft. Which name, when I said it, did you think to yourself, oh, bleep. This could go horribly awry for me. I've got two. I wonder what yours are. Go first. Okay, I was going to say CMC and Saquon. For the same reason, which is injuries, because CMC gets hurt every like both of them. You know, they are going to get their uh, fair share of, you know, getting the football, but they just can't stay healthy. Like you you are absolutely taking a wild guess. Like you don't know if you are going to have that RB one for your whole season, because chances are they are probably going to get injured at some point. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't feel uncomfortable with cmc he'd be in saquon actually for me too i feel comfortable with surprisingly mine would be Bijan robinson really i'm a little concerned about all of the hype with him okay like it's it's a matter of you're taking this player to be a first round pick granted you're probably taking him somewhere between eight and twelve 
You're taking him to be a first round pick and he's still a rookie and it's still on an Atlanta Falcons team that I'm just unsure of right now. So he would be one. The other one. And I, I said this before and I got a lot of backlash for it, but Stefan Diggs would make me get nervous. the bleep out of here. He man. made me nervous last year, man. And I understand he was injured. I understand Josh Allen was injured. Still makes me nervous, especially now that Gabe Davis came on, came on the scene last year. Uh, I wonder how much Gabe Davis becomes a massive part of that offense. Mine is Saquon Barkley. The one that makes me the most nervous is Saquon because we all know what the talent is there. But last year, a lot of a lot of the value in Saquon Barkley, especially if you play a PPR league, man, the dude caught 60 passes for 350 yards. That's 60 points with the pass catching that he was able to get. And then another, whatever, 40 points from the receiving yards. That helps you a lot over the course of a season. What if they brought in some better targets for their quarterback this past offseason? They did. And now some of those targets end up going elsewhere. Or they decide, you know what, Saquon, we kind of rode you into the ground by the end of last season. You do have an injury history. Uh, Let's maybe take back the workload a little bit. That's my concern with Saquon. When you're in this first round, you got to be, I mean, all of these guys make you a little nervous, right? Because such high and yeah. we're we're picking nets a little bit i think there's like two guys on that list that i feel comfortable taking in the first round three guys that i wouldn't be worried about But when you're when you're looking at these guys you got it what is the one that makes you the most nervous for me it would easily be saquon barkley all right alex mid-tier quarterback you're going into your fantasy football draft you've waited you've waited you've waited uh-oh all the quarterbacks just went off the board now you have to find your guy and you're scrambling a little bit we're in the middle rounds which of these players do you most want to be your quarterback Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Tua Tungavailoa, or Daniel Jones. Can I insert another name here? Deshaun, Dak, Tua, Daniel Jones. Which one do you want? Deshaun. Dak makes me very nervous. Daniel Jones, no bleeping way. And then Tua, again, injury history. I I asked to add one. I would say Jared Goff. I would add, I would put Jared Goff before all of those because of the offense. Okay. And he's going even later. Yeah. I, I mean, I would wait. If that's my options and I'm talking about, like, I don't know, what, the sixth, seventh round yep. with one of those guys, I think I would just take more offense and hope I get the quarterback later. But if I was to pick one out of those, it would be Deshaun because you're going you're going upside more than anything. And if Deshaun is this guy, I mean, you're talking about one of the top quarterbacks in the game. I think I would go with Tua, and I know I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth because I just brought up the uh, injury history with those two running backs, but I find quarterbacks to be one of those things where you take the best player that's going to produce the most points when he's healthy, and then if he does go down, you can usually find a good enough quarterback that's serviceable um, that hasn't been drafted in your league, so that's why I would just take Tua in that sense. So I always go with the running quarterback. Because there's just so much value in the rushing touchdowns. The ability Mm -hmm. to be able to get those is huge. And so I don't want to watch Deshaun Watson on a night or a weekly basis. I just don't want to watch the Browns. I don't want to root for him. But if I have to take a quarterback from this area of the draft, my top two targets would be Daniel Jones or Deshaun Watson. So I'd probably lean Deshaun Watson in that respect. The guy that I would probably do, Alex, if I was pulling your card of, hey, none of those four, I'm going to wait even further. How about Russell Wilson? Yeah. I don't think Russell Wilson's going to be great this year. But man, two years ago, Russell Wilson was one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He has decent weapons on that team. You got a pretty good running game. They went from the worst coaching in the NFL to a guy that I think is a top five coach in the league in Sean Payton. If you can just get 
solid production out of Russ, and then they get into the red zone and he adds a little bit of value with his legs as a runner, you could see Russell Wilson as a top 12 quarterback by the end of the year, and you're taking him right now as like quarterback 15. Yeah. So that would be somebody that I would consider as well. He as would, Russell Wilson a little later. He in the would draft. probably be the one that would make me the most nervous, though, sure. because like if he busts, I'm on the waiver wire the entire season hoping to find some type of quarterback. In that scenario, I'm probably taking like Russell Wilson and Derek Carr or Matt Stafford. Yeah. I'm just going super late round quarterback with yeah. both of them. And so, then I hope that one of those last two ends up giving me a little bit of a Someone floor. brought up Geno Smith. That'd be another one that I'd, I'd if I'm going to go that low, I would take a massive risk on I that player. Year, I do dude. too, especially with those three weapons and you're talking about the rushing ability. Good, good offensive line too. And with Pete Carroll. Yeah, that was a team I was thinking about when you talked about the biggest gap between ceiling and floor, just based off if of Gino what Geno Smith does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. G- Geno's season this year is a, is a big part of what's going to ter- determine their outcome. Oh, yeah. I, who is the team, Alex, if you could call your shot today? Who is your team that you would say nobody's expecting them to do anything? I think they're going to be better than expectations. Whether that means like go on to win the Super Bowl or something, like whatever, set that aside. The team that you think is going to be much better than everybody currently expects is who? Seattle would be one of them, but I would go more towards Chicago. I think people still view Chicago as a team that's going to be fighting for a top pick, and I just don't agree with that. I think with DJ Moore, with Justin Fields' mobility, and they did significantly upgrade their defense and offensive line through the draft and free agency, I think Chicago is going to be fighting for one of those top spots in their division. I've mentioned it before. My team would be Atlanta. I think it's one of the teams in the NFC South. Take your pick. Whoever you're higher on than most, I think you can go with that one. Carolina's another one. Yeah. I, I don't know what to expect out of Bryce Young this year. And that's really what makes me nervous. Like they got the right weapons for him. They've got some decent weapons. They're, they're fine. Um, I, I really like their defense. I think we underestimate how good their defense was last year because their offense was so atrocious. If Bryce Young comes in and is a solid, serviceable, mid-tier starter, I think that team could win 10 games this year. I know Tiny that quarterbacks sounds crazy, nervous, right though. I, absolutely. I wouldn't have taken him number one overall. I would have taken him third. Yeah. Um, but they're the team that I would they, be curious about. They've got the best weapons out of all of the rookie quarterbacks, in my opinion. Like with CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson, I think Bryce Young's got the best weapons out of all of them. Grant, who's your team? You know, I was thinking about Green Bay. And I think the only lock here in this conversation is that it's a team coming out of the NFC. Sure. Because the <laughs> NFC is just such yeah, garbage. I mean, it's hard to it's come abysmal. out of the AFC, right? Like Cincinnati. Who are the teams in the AFC that we aren't expecting to be good? <laughs> New England, Tennessee, Indy, Houston, Vegas, Vegas. and Denver? Like those six. Yeah. 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 Everybody clear. else has expectations, and I, I think it's going to be really hard for any of those six that we just named to be able to kind of yeah. come out of the basement. But seeing what Jordan Love can do can be interesting. I was listening to Anthony Stalter the other day on the Fast Lane talk about the Packers and you know how they're they're going to be able to run more of the offense that they want to run with Jordan Love, and the offensive line looks good. So they're an interesting one to keep an eye on in this conversation. Like Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Plenty more NFL uh, content and fantasy football content uh, coming your way over the next couple of weeks as we prepare for the start of the NFL season. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer because our guy T-Bone apparently called his shot yesterday. Oh, we got to hear this next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. 
All right, let's dive into the junk drawer. And junk is what T-Bone brought to the gauntlet oh. yesterday. <laughs> Did you hear this? Junk to the junk to the gauntlet or the fast lane yesterday? Yes. Okay, good. Just making sure. So our guy T-Bone got the call up to the big leagues. He's on afternoon drive. This is a big opportunity for our boy T-Bone. Can't nope. really ask for anything more than this. You're going up with not just the fast lane, but a former NHL superstar yeah. defenseman in Jamie Rivers, who is now going to be serving as the primary analyst on Bally Sports Midwest for Blues games. I mean, this is a big deal for him to get this opportunity. As Eminem said in 8 Mile, Mom Spaghetti. So, we he also said other things. It's That's actually fine. Mima's spaghetti for Tanner. but Or his own spaghetti. He's getting the opportunity to co-host the fast lane. And every day at 4 o'clock, they do the gauntlet. And T-Bone knew, this is my shot. Yeah, don't let a chance to blow. And he went for it. Here's what it, here's what it sounded like. You can write it down, 402. Oh, T-Bone wow. is winning the gauntlet today. <laughs> And going to silence the critics. All right, Greg, you heard the man. Wow. If it's Antonio Gates, Greg wins. If it's Wes Welker, T-Bone wins. If it's Danny Amendola, we go to a walk-off. Answer is... Antonio Gates. Greg! You have chosen wisely. Nice job, buddy. Nice job. Congratulations there today. You get the victory, 5-4. Got you, T Bone. <laughs> Good for you, Greg. Babe Ruth called his shot over there. Yeah. I pointed and then I missed. Yeah. T Bone. Yeah. You can't call your shot and lose. Yeah. I mean, that that sucks. Yeah. 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 It's kind of awkward. Now. Well, now you'll have a couple of days to think about it. Kind of. You know, my goodness. It wasn't even a swing and miss. It was more like a Luke and Baker just watching oh, the camera. Oh, oh, no, 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 this, oh. like this was like a burly hit where it was like right at somebody. Mm. I mean, I lost by a point, you know. You know what this was, BK? And Overconfidence. I, well, I can make this. I can make this. Overpromising and underdelivering <laughs> something you know a lot about. Oh, <laughs> damn! I kid, I kid. I that didn't. That is it. not true. No, this was. Have you ever seen the movie Benchwarmers? Of course. This I don't is, think that movie could be made today either. No, it couldn't. But it was hilarious. But this was the point where uh, I think it was either David Spade or. Um, Napoleon Dynamite's character when they walked up to the play, I think it was David Spade, and he pointed to the outfield like he was going to hit a home run, and then he like moved his finger down, and he pointed right in front of him <laughs> because that's where he knew the ball was going to go. That's what T Bone should have done instead of yep. call his shot there. He should have done that. He didn't because he has the self confidence. Like he carries himself as if he's Barry Bonds walking around. You're the greatest power hitter of our era. And really, he's like Alec Burleson. He, he made the, the comparison. There's nothing wrong with being Alec Burleson, man. It's a really nice major leaguer. I'd take Alec Burleson. Hanging around. Hell, good I'd buddies take, with everybody. I'd take Taylor Motter right now. Yeah, he's got a good living, right? But you got to know who you are. You got to be comfortable in that set of shoes. And T-Bone's out here thinking that he's going to take on the greatest ping pong players in the world, and he's going to beat yeah. them in the Olympics. He's talking about going up against Brooke Grimsley and kicking her butt in he thinks he can, tennis or pickleball. thinks he can hit a, a pitch from Adam Wainwright now in Major League Baseball. He thinks he would have hit yeah. like 17 home runs in the home run yeah. derby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's out here calling his shot at everything, and then he gets his opportunity, and he pees down his leg. Oh, man. Th- this is like when you bring that puppy dog home. And the puppy dog pees in the house, and you're like, don't do that again. And the puppy dog cowers in the corner. That's what T-Bone's probably going to be like after this one. 
To T-Bone's defense. No. No. Never mind. No, no defense for T-Bone. He called his shot and he failed. Do you know what your record is on the gauntlet when you filled in? Oh, it's worse, but I never call my shot. I'm 2-1. <laughs> and one. I'm 0-0-1. I'm terrible. Really? A walk off. That I'm, was before I made the question. A walk off. I'm two and one. I won the first two, and then the one I lost was in Alton. When we were out there for the fifth. That guy got in your head. It was kind of like the home run derby uh, where you have a kid in left field. He had his whole family there chirping me too the entire time. I don't do well under pressure. We know, buddy. Certain situations. Sometimes I'm great under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about it? I'll let you figure out (laughs) what those situations are. How old are your kids? Uh, two and one. Okay. Yeah. Um, Great under pressure. Somebody said T-Bone's going to get picked again today, and he's probably going to choke again. Hey, man, all of the pressure is on Tanner Hendrickson yeah. today. All of it. Uh, and I hope he calls his shot again. I hope he I hope he sticks with that confidence moving forward because hope, it's a good thing to have. I hope he gets random. <laughs> I just want to see I chaos. Wanna, no, for I want gauntlet. him to get baseball. I want oh, him to get baseball. Yeah, you yeah, want yeah. him to get beat in his best category. Yes. Okay. Where the confidence is at no, an all-time no high. No excuses. I need, I need him to call his shot again today. He's going back-to-back. Back. I'm calling my shot. I'm going to win. Nobody can beat me. And then Rick from Ellsville comes in and just, just wipes the floor with just him. pulls the elbow yeah, out. Yeah, people's elbow. Ugh. Rock bottoms him. Somebody oh. said he can't get picked today. He lost yesterday. Yeah. Uh-uh. They got to change the rules. Yeah, T Bone has to go to again. The one that goes today. T Bone's got to go again. Somebody said T Bone totally BKO'd himself. That was even worse than a BKO. That was a TKO. That was all of the confidence you could possibly have in yourself. And he just uh, failed spectacularly. Yeah. Well, the, apparently, uh, Greg is texting in the one that beat T-Bone yesterday, and he says, I can't pick him today. No, you can, sir. I beg you to demand Tanner once again. They won't do it, but it's fine. I think they should. I, I think they should allow. T- or, you know what? Maybe next week we'll do a T-Bone trivia Tuesday here on Ooh. BK and Ferrari. Well, I'll be gone. So we'll, I'll be listening for that we'll one. Give him an I'll the questions to for us, too. Himself. Hey, you know what? As the... Uh, commissioner of the gauntlet questions that's true i feel like i can you know override the decision see there you go and say tanner can't play there you today. go make sure ribs and marshy know mm-hmm. that yeah you you tell I'll jamie rivers that don't we're gone go that's fine say that until we're both in our car in the parking lot please. coming up next what was the thing we got most wrong about the cardinals in 2023 because we were obviously wrong about a lot not what were we as... most strong about? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What was the thing that we got the most strong about the Cardinals in 2023? Alongside Alex and Grant on BK, T-Bone on with the fast lane today. So MLB.com wrote about the thing that we got most wrong about every team so far this season. For the Cardinals, their suggestion was, yeah, we thought they had enough pitching to survive, and clearly that was incorrect. Alex, when you think about your preseason expectations, what we were talking about during spring training, and what has actually taken place so far this year, what do you think you got most wrong about the team? It's what you just said, that they have enough pitching to survive, that their pitching is just good enough to keep them afloat. I thought that 
one through five with Flaherty and Montgomery and Michaelis and Matts, not even bringing into consideration of what Adam Wainwright was going to be. I thought that you had the guys to give you the proper amount of innings and keep you competitive. And then I thought that the depth that they had in terms of Hudson, Libertor, Thompson, these guys in the minors that you could call upon if something goes wrong, they were going to be good enough and take that next step in the development process for you to say, yeah, we're good. I thought you had nine guys that were going to be able to carry you through this season and you get to the deadline, upgrade something small here and consider yourself a go. That was not the case at all. Your pitching not only wasn't good enough, you didn't have enough arms to even give you the opportunity to stay competitive in the National League Central. So that's what I was completely wrong on. I would agree with that pitching is probably the number one thing. I also think that one thing that's understated a little bit, and this can be said for the Blues and the Cardinals as well. You know, the Blues lose David Perron. They lose that presence in the locker room and that leadership of of what he brought to the team. And I think for the Cardinals, losing Yadier Molina and losing Albert Pujols was more important to the team than we all said. And I think a lot of the issues for the Cardinals, you know, because it wasn't all pitching this season. The defense has been really bad at times. The offense has gone dry. The confidence has been non-existent a lot of the season. And I think a lot of that comes from you lose Yadier Molina, you lose Albert Pujols, you don't have that leadership quality. And yeah, you still have Adam Wainwright. But you can't really get it from Adam Wainwright whenever he's struggling so much. And I remember when we talked to Clint Hurdle, and I asked him about that. And he said, look, if if you lose guys in your clubhouse and your leadership is gone and your culture is gone, then they weren't then your roster wasn't in a good enough spot to be to lose that type of leadership. And he was lights out nail on that one. So I'm gonna start out with something I was very right about. I was right about this offense. This oh, yeah? Offense. How'd they do against Pete Blackburn last night? Don't pay attention the to athletics. that. The athletics. Look over here. The numbers on the back of the baseball <laughs> My card gosh. look pretty good. This offense is as good as I expected it to be. Yeah. A little more inconsistent than I'd like. Mike Myers just thrown a no-hitter against the Cardinals. But that's not what the question is. The question is, what did we get wrong? And for me, what I got wrong about this team is that their defense, I thought, would be a net positive. I thought that the rule changes would be a net positive for the Cardinals, and I could not have been more wrong. The rule changes clearly impacted them in a meaningful way. The lack of a shift impacted their ground ball pitchers because now ground balls are getting through at a higher rate than they did previously. The uh, increase in stolen bases around the league has not led to a significant increase in stolen bases for the Cardinals. They are 23rd this year in Major League Baseball in stolen bases. They've got 73 on the season. They're 25th in defensive runs saved this year at a negative 12. This is despite the fact that over the last few years, they've been a very good defensive team. So the biggest things that I got wrong, stuff that used to be a real positive for the Cardinals, defense, base running, stolen bases, athleticism, all that stuff. It has gone the opposite direction this year, and I didn't see that drop-off coming. And I think even if the pitching was exactly what it's been so far this year, you changed nothing about that. If they had just played the same level of defense as they did last year, and they were the same base running team as they had been in previous seasons, I think this team would have been competitive at the deadline, and I'm not sure they have a full-blown sell-off. And I'm saying that including what the pitching was, changing nothing else, just improving the defense and improving the base running. I think they might have been... A holder and be because they were close enough in the division 
and not a full-blown seller. The one part that I'd push back on that is on the starting rotation side of things, I agree. But, man, that bullpen, I don't even know if your defense was the issue with that bullpen. Uh, your bullpen had so many blow-ups in terms of giving up home runs and giving up leads late, not solely because of the defense, but and just that's because— that's where I think that they would have gone out and got bullpen arms yeah. at the deadline this year. When we talked about Andrew Chafin, when we talked about our guy, uh, what was it, Matt— Matt Moore Mm -hmm. like there were guys out there that if you would have just upgraded that area and that might be the bigger portion of my pitching inaccuracy going into the season was I I thought you had it set up perfectly with Hicks Housley Gallegos and Cabrera I thought those four were going to carry you through this season and it showcased that none of them were clutch enough for you consistently by the way Matt Moore just to do a like revisionist history thing, right? We were very wrong about a lot of the starting pitchers that were in the on the market. Maybe not wrong. They just wouldn't have worked out this year. Um, Rondo, Rodon got hurt. DeGrom got hurt. Some of the other guys that we talked about it just hasn't been a good year for them. But Matt Moore, the relievers that we discussed a lot, they've been pretty damn good. Yeah. Matt Moore got a one-year deal worth $7 million this season. He has a 1.6 ERA in 35 appearances. Now, he's dealt with some injuries, but... A 1.6 ERA, yeah, that would help with this team right now. Then you look at what Andrew Chafin has been so far this season. Um, He's been pretty darn good as well. 4.5 ERA, not ideal, but when he was with Arizona, a 4.2 ERA in 43 appearances. A lot of that was one blow-up that we saw against the Cardinals. His fielding independent this year is a 3.5, which would be among the best on the St. Louis Cardinals. So, if they would have gone out and gotten one of those relievers, I mean, preferably two of them, but at least one of them, we'd be talking about a lot different situation for this team as well. But I, I do think a lot of it comes back to the defense cracked in a way that yeah. I was unprepared for. Well, and if you look at the areas that it cracked, the third baseman that you had no reason to believe it was going to fall had a bad start to the season with Nolan Arenado. Your second base slash shortstop position, it just never really got into that same comfortability that you you expected it to be because Edmund was potentially the shortstop and then Paul DeYoung was back and then you were going through the grooming process with Nolan Gorman and your, your outfield completely imploded. You had no Tyler O'Neill, nobody took yep. over the center field spot and Jordan Walker looked like he needed more reps in right field. So everywhere on that diamond except for Paul Goldschmidt, it really just kind of completely collapsed on you. Going back to that bullpen, one thing that we were right about was the concern about Ryan Helsley being able to back up what he was a year ago. Helsley for his entire career has been a real health question. In last season, he put it all together. My fear, Alex, is that Ryan Helsley will become for the bullpen what Tyler O'Neill was for your outfield. Where you see one season, it's like, holy bleep. When this guy is healthy and good to go, he's one of the best dudes in the entire league at what he does. For Tyler O'Neill, that's playing left field. For Ryan Helsley, it's being at the back end of a bullpen. Last year was remarkable. 1.25 ERA on the season. Struck guys out left and right. Struck out 94 batters in 64 innings. Just a remarkable season in every way possible. But prior to that, he hadn't been a consistent player for the Cardinals at all. In 2020, a 5.2 ERA. 2021, 4.6 ERA. Was a negative wins above replacement. This year was really solid for the most part when he was out there, but did have some significant blowups for the Cards. And then the injuries took place again. And yesterday, there was an update from the ballpark. Sounds like there was a little bit of a bump in the road with his rehab process. He is dealing with some soreness. Now, the initial MRI scan came back, and there wasn't anything to be too concerned about. But I do wonder if the Cardinals will say, listen, our season at this point is over. We don't need to rush him back. 
there is six weeks left in the season, is it even worth us trying to push it for him to be back on the big league stage this year? I think if he's fine, if they get the scans back and they say, you know what, two weeks from now he can restart this program, maybe you try it again. But if there's any, any pushback whatsoever at that point, I think you shut him down for the rest of the year and say, let's try this again in 2024. But Ryan Helsley, for me, man, I I am very concerned about what he's going to look like in that bullpen next year. And I think you have to treat him the way that you treated Tyler O'Neill this year in the outfield, which is if he plays, great. But we have to be prepared to play most of the season next year without Ryan Helsley in yeah. that pen. I, I know it's not the same injury and it's not the same length of injuries, but Ryan Helsley gives me the the Alex Reyes jitters, mostly because like you just it always felt like you were trying to get him back. You try and get him back, and then when he came back, it didn't work out. I don't want to go down that path with Ryan Helsley, especially if you're banking on him being a massive part of this bullpen for the next couple of seasons. I don't want to go down this path of let's just get him back so we can pitch again. And then when he pitches again, it doesn't feel right, and we have to shut him down. And then when he makes his rehab stint, something goes wrong, and it doesn't feel right. You can't go down that vicious circle of him not being available. I would eliminate any consideration of bringing him back this season and say, dude, just get right. If you want to go on a rehab stint before the end of the season, fine. But we don't need to, to rush you back to the majors because frankly, there's no reason to. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we might have a little bit of a guest appearance here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it Here we myself. Go. You're watching on YouTube, you already know. Oh, Suddenly yeah. I'm up on top of the world. I couldn't do it without loving somebody else. I'll sing it, boys. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Just me. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Thank a beautiful you, rendition of Believe It or Not wow. here on 101 ESPN. You, Shout out to T-Bone. He is Mariah carrying us. Yeah, He's leaving the room gotta, right now. Gotta rest the voice before he talks for four hours. By the way, he like complained that we didn't do it without him. And I said, dude, you sing 95% of the song. There's no reason for us to do it. And we're not going to put Grant in that position. We decided, you know what? We're going to have a feature on today's show. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and call out T-Bone. Yeah. We'll bring in Mariah. He's going to be a part of this show for us for roughly 47 seconds. Yeah, and then go rest the vocal cords for four hours. All right, let's play a game of Believe It or Not. Guys, Believe It or Not, tonight is Adam Wainwright's final start at Bush Stadium. Not believing it. Regardless of the, he could give up 15 runs in the first inning, he's going to make that final start at Bush Stadium of the season. IL stint, bullpen, he'll get that final start at Bush Stadium. Whether it's the Second to last game or the final game? My guess would be the final game of the season. He's going to make that start at Bush. Yeah, I think at very at the very least, he's going to get that final start. I also think that he is still going to get starts after this. I just, I, I hear the argument for not making that start. I feel like the Cardinals are still going to run him out there. Guys, I think I'm going to believe it. I, I, I hope like hell to be wrong here. Obviously, the best thing for Wayno, for the Cardinals, for everybody involved is that Wayno goes out there and shoves tonight. I hope he gets win, win number 199. All of us are obviously rooting for that. I feel like I have to say that because otherwise people get mad. <laughs> but if I'm putting on my 
projection cap, right? My prognostication cap going into tonight. Oh, man, lower the lower the vocabulary a little bit. I I don't think it's gonna go well for Wayno. I the velocity's not there. His he said after his last game, listen, I just don't I don't have anything. I can't get anybody out with anything that I'm throwing right now, and I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. If he was gonna do well, Kansas City's a pretty good place to do it. That's a pitcher's park, it's pitcher friendly. Bush Stadium also pitcher friendly, and it did not go well for him against Colorado either. Kansas City and Colorado are not exactly two juggernaut offenses that he's gone up against in his last two outings. So it's not about the opposition. It's about him and his stuff. So I'm going to say I believe it because I don't think they're going to run him back out there if it goes poorly again. Not even that final series. And I don't think that he will say, all right, run me out there for one final start against the Cincinnati Reds. I think the the way that that would probably work is maybe he goes out there for an inning as a reliever. But if he's not built up at that point, I, I don't think that they're going to throw him out there for a, a start. Maybe maybe he would start, quote unquote, the game as an opener and give you an inning and then they pull him out of the game afterwards. But I think it's easier to do that just as a reliever in some capacity on October 1st. Yeah. Alex, believe it or not, let's go a little fantasy football style because I've been kind of sick of... Uh hearing these people bring this up. Believe it or not, Jameer Gibbs lives up to the hype that he provides for this upcoming season. Everything I've read and seen says if you draft Jameer Gibbs, you're winning your fantasy football league this season. Yeah. Uh, You know who I'm actually higher on than most people are? Is the starting running back in Detroit, which does not appear to be Jameer Gibbs. Dude, I like David Montgomery. Dude, he was... He was so inconsistent in Chicago with behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. I I think you're getting a significant discount if he simply has. And I think he could have more than this. But if he simply has the Jamal Williams role from a year ago, dude, that is a super valuable role. I would absolutely love to have that player on my fantasy team this year. And I don't have to draft him until the seventh round to be able to get it. Yeah. So I, I like David Montgomery. He's the one that I am probably more excited to draft because of where you can draft him this year in fantasy the guys that are going around him javante williams deandre swift james cook antonio gibson aj Dillon. i would rather have david montgomery than any of them now the other guy in that range that i really like is isaiah pacheco i think he's being undervalued as well but i'm gonna say forget it i don't think he's the guy that i want i want the other guy from their backfield in detroit grant what do you got for today for believe it or not my friend all right guys so two years ago in fantasy Kyle Pitts had an outstanding season at tight end. Oh, don't bring up the pits. Last season, I had him in fantasy. Oh, never he's, again, right? He's the pits. Yeah, it was a it was a very sad season for me in fantasy last year. But believe it or not, Kyle Pitts has a comeback season this year and is a good pick for your fantasy league. I'm not going to believe not believing this it either. Yeah, I'm yeah, not man. believing this one. I Can I give you guys Kyle Pitts numbers from a year ago? I feel like people underestimate just how bad it was. Oh, no, I know. Oh, I bad. know exactly how bad, I know it, was, how bad it was. He had 28 receptions for 350 yards and two touchdowns. Can I read you off players on their team that had more uh, more more touchdowns last year than Kyle Pitts on the Atlanta Falcons? Drake London, Michael Pruitt. And Olamide Zacchaeus. I'll pay somebody $10 right now if you could tell me what team Michael Pruitt plays for. This year? Yeah. yeah well, the Falcons. Okay, well, not you, but... It's gonna well, he was on the Falcons. No, I know, but I was going to see if Grant got it. Come on, man. Oh, no, yeah, no. Do you know where he went to college? <laughs> no. <laughs> Southern Illinois. Oh. Michael Pruitt, Southern Illinois. By the way, from, from Kirkwood. 
congratulations to Michael Pruitt for going out there and performing better than uh, than Kyle Pitts last year. I'm I'm gonna say I'm believing it. I'm a sucker for you Kyle can't Pitts. Get worse. <laughs> I just can't quit him, dude. He's so unbelievably talented. So I gave you all the numbers as to why he won't go out there and do it because he was horrible. If you drafted him last year, you hated your life because you hated yep. it because you had to put him in the fantasy tight end spot every single week and every week you disappointed. And every week you were like, he can't be as bad as he was exactly. last week. You know but how I'm hard believe it. I think he's going to be all right this year. You know how hard I tried to Randy trade Luger him again. last season. <laughs> Everyone else saw the tea leaves on that one. I just think they're going to run the ball more. And if they're not running, I think the pass game, B. John Robinson plays into that also. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, T-Bone has become a star and a diva after this week spending it on the fast line. Absolutely. He couldn't podcast yesterday because he had to rest his voice. Today, he could only sing and then rest his voice. He's he's become a star, but he's become a diva. Did you see him walk out of this studio oh, yeah. after that uh, Believe It or Not open? Yeah, he's... He's uh, yeah, he's acting. Oh God, unbelievable! You know where I think it started? I think it started in Nashville. Like he had the opportunity to one-on-one with Doug Armstrong, and he crushed that. And I think that's where the head imploded. The head turned into the house and up. It just kept floating, <laughs> floating, floating, and it never came back down. I'm gonna say not believing it. I think he's become a star. I don't think he's a diva. Not yet. Give it another day. We'll, well see what he looks like tomorrow. He's at when a he different comes in here. diva level of you, though. Like you're at the upper echelon of that diva, oh, you think and then so, he's huh, like guy? right in the middle. Uh, I'm not a devil. I'm always grounded. Nine six four six is the air comfort service text line. Believe it or not, BK finishes last in the fantasy football league at 101 ESPN this year. Not, not believing it. I'm decent at fantasy. Football. Oh no, I'll believe this one because he's going to actually add more time to the clock of drafting, and that's going to affect him. BK, I imagine you being the fantasy player that has like a book of Excel spreadsheets uh, on every kidding? single player. He does a book of Excel sheets for one segment on our show. Yeah, we'll get into that coming up in about five minutes. Or so. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a spreadsheet. Ready every to go tweet, for us. there's at least one tweet you can bank on it every single night. That is going to have an Excel sheet of, and the, the headline of it is going to say, I did a deep dive tonight. Do you, That's when you're, story. when you're doing your fantasy draft, do you, how many like tabs do you have open of information? Uh, just one. I use a, a website called establish the run and free plug for them. I um, use the same one and it doesn't I, benefit. Adam Levitan <laughs> and uh, Silva. Evan Silva, they, they do really, really fantastic work. So uh, that's what I use for both my redraft leagues. And I, I'm a big daily fantasy player during the regular season. Underdog helps me out. Uh, fantasy football over on DraftKings. They, well, they help you out with all us out. And it just you benefited from what hey, we, we had did a big together. win in the Super Bowl. And I enjoyed yeah, that a yeah, lot. You kept all that money. Believe it or not, guys, Zhao Klaus will start a game for City at some point this year. <laughs> I'm going to have to believe this one because I see all the videos surfacing of him out practicing with the team. You can't be out the rest of the season, right? I say that. And he's been out for how long? Like 25 weeks or something what like that? What is going on? <laughs> he looks great on the video. So, well, the crazy thing is at one point you saw things saying that he was close to returning and then all of a sudden it was a setback. And I mean, you just never know with this guy. I, I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to have to say, believe it. At some point, I think he's going to come back, but Man, we all got so excited about what this guy could be for St. Louis. And they said, hey, he's finally found a home. He feels like he belongs here. Then he had a quad injury. That's what they called it. And he's been out since like May, April. You're saying he's dogging it? No, not at all. But man, that is a long time for any injury, much less a quad injury. So uh, I hope we get to see him at some point. Maybe he's just pulling a Mark Stone and he'll be back right before playoffs. Smart. Believe it or not, BK is the guy you won in your group projects in class. Oh, for sure. 
I feel like, yeah, you get a lot of information. Absolutely. He comes in with a manila folder of like, hey, guys, I did all of this work overnight and you can use it if you want. And the folder's like busting at the seams. Alex definitely would have used me oh, yeah. in high school. Dude, I, I would do the work. I hated giving presentations in school. Like, I hated it. I would do all the work and be like, hey, can somebody just present this for me? That's like when we go to, Grant, we went to um, Westport Social, yeah. and we had a, it was just a, basically a remote, but it was like after the show. It was so an, we appearance, there, yeah, an appearance, basically. Went out there, hung out, uh, made some drinks, and basically just, Talked with people, right? We're hanging out out there. And talked to people. They wanted us to walk around and hand them stuff to fill out. And it's like, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> There's nothing worse than going up and inter- interrupting somebody's good time by saying, hey, will you fill this out? <laughs> I don't have any Sucks. issues with it. It is what it is, right? Everybody knows what the deal is. <laughs> We'd walk around. Alex, like, yeah, you got this? I said, yep. yeah, I'll get this taken care of for you. I'm buddy. the guy that puts headphones on at a grocery store. You think I'm going to go interrupt somebody in the middle of them enjoying a beer by saying, hey, will you fill this out? Hey, will you fill this out? No, get out of here. So That's I something know. I could not do. And I like, it. I think about the people that uh, work for the Wi-Fi companies or whatever at Walmart that like sit there and talk to oh, people. Yeah. I'm like, no it, shot. It has nothing that. to do with me being uncomfortable talking to people. And it has everything to do with me Feeling uncomfortable at interrupting somebody sure. else's time because if I'm you that person, want somebody don't interrupt you. I, I get, get upset about it, and so I'm thinking, oh, but they're going to get upset about it. Coming up next, I care about people, Grant. Despite we both what, do, despite what BK yeah. believes, I care about people. I went scuba diving last night. Oh, we had a deep dive <laughs> in your bathtub in the BK household. Oh, Luke has already got the Excel sheet out. And I came away with two conclusions on the pitchers that the Cardinals should be targeting this offseason. I'll tell you what I found in my scuba segment next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Me and Michael Gersh went scuba diving last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did Mo offer you the snorkel gear, though? No, the muddy Mississippi. We don't just go snorkeling in there. We go scuba all the way down to the very bottom. If you're listening, don't Google muddy Mississippi. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon (laughs) Kiley. So our our idea for the Cardinals this offseason is enough of the the snorkeling. Yeah. It's time to scuba. Yep. And we're not talking about the snuba either. Nope. Full-blown scuba diving. You get a damn tank. You put the entire outfit with a wetsuit on, even the flippers. And obviously what we mean by that is going deep into the free agency market. Go dive into the deep end, guys. It's time to go Blake Snell, Julio Urias, Aaron Nola. That level of starter, that's who you should be trying to acquire this offseason. So, Alex, last night. I did a deep dive into this upcoming free agent class, and I looked at the last three years of what each of these guys did. I looked at, you know, how we tier these guys out, the tier two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Really, I kind of focused on tier two and three. So that's the guys that I just mentioned, Snell, Urias, Nola. They're the tier two free agents, right? Uh, not named Shohei Otani, basically. And then the other guys that are into this conversation are Stroman, Flaherty, Eduardo Rodriguez, Jordan Montgomery, Lucas Giolito. Solid threes, Sonny Gray thrown into that mix as well. Solid threes, maybe you could argue twos in a good season for them, but they're guys that aren't going to be at the front end of your rotation. 
So I looked at what all of these guys have done when it comes to game started, innings, ERA, fielding independent pitching, strikeout rates, batting average allowed. And then I even dove into some of the, the real deep dive stuff. Eno Saris comes up with the numbers for a stat called Stuff Plus. To simplify it, basically, how good is your stuff? It's on a scale of 100, kind of like OPS Plus, those sorts of things. Anything above that is that percentage above average. He also has Location Plus, so... Can you locate your pitches? Yes or no? Anything above 100 is pretty good. And he's got a pitching plus, which is some combination of stuff plus and location plus. How good of a pitcher are you? And he tries to put that into a numerical tabular data. And then I looked at their average velocity as well. So whole bunch of numbers. I feel smarter already hearing this. I've got it all into a spreadsheet ready to go for you. I had two main takeaways from my deep dive last night, Alex. Okay. Takeaway number one. I think you're going to like this one. Tell me. Every single number that you can find indicates there should be one obvious candidate for the Cardinals to sign this offseason. Let's all say it together. Aaron, Aaron Ola. Ola. He is Nailed the most it. consistent pitcher on this list. He has pitched 534 innings over the past three seasons. The second best number among this group of free agent pitchers is Lucas Giolito with 480 50 more innings over the last three years Aaron Nola has pitched than any other starter on this list. He is incredibly consistent. If you look at the underlying numbers, strikeout rate, fielding independent pitching, walk rate, all of that stuff, even stuff plus rates him very well. Stuff's still there. All of it suggests, hey, he's been pretty unlucky. He's got a bad defense behind him. He plays at a hitter-friendly park. This stuff could get better if he goes somewhere else where you've maybe got a little better of a defense and a better pitcher-friendly park, all of which would apply to the St. Louis Cardinals. The number one free agent target for the Cardinals this offseason should be Aaron Nola in my mind. Absolutely. And I, it's not so much of him having the best stuff, although your deep dive proves otherwise. It's more just about the feel of the type of pitcher he is. And I, you need a legit number one. And although Blake Snell and Julio Urias might profile more to a lot of people without diving into the numbers as, oh, well, they're better pitchers. They're the clear number ones. Aaron Nola has been a consistent number one throughout his entire career. And what I know I'm getting from Aaron Nola is 180 to 200 innings, a guy who's going to have somewhere between a High three, mid two ERA, and somebody who is going to give you seven innings plus almost every single night. And to me, maybe the stuff dips off. Maybe you're paying him more for past than present. But as we've talked a lot about, you did this to yourself. And I know a lot of people ask the question, well, then how are you going to get him? Why would the Phillies let this type of player go? I was watching because Nola pitched last night and it didn't go well for him. And our guy from Philadelphia, Sam Filippo, who was the one that joined us during the uh, offseason with the Flyers news, he was talking about how inconsistent Nola has been this season, and he said it sure seems like Philadelphia Phillies fans are done with him, mostly because you just you can't rely upon him. And he said, I fully expect him to go out and pitch like a Cy Young next season when he doesn't re-sign in Philadelphia. But for now, it's pretty evident that this team is done with him. And I do believe the Phillies are going to look at this and say, well, he's 30 years old, 31, not going to pay him the amount of money. We'll let him walk. And I think that's a perfect opportunity for the Cardinals to pounce. Maybe you only get three good years out of them, but that's a win in my opinion. And part of why they would let him walk for those curious is they don't want to pay an aging pitcher big time money because they're not desperate. 
The Phillies aren't desperate. That's the truth of the matter. They have Zach Wheeler under contract for the next couple of seasons. He's a number one. You have a guy like Ranger, uh, Ranger Suarez, who's been a really solid, like, number three, four starter for them. Taiwan Walker has been a solid uh, free agent acquisition. And they have some legit top-tier talent in their system that's coming up right now that they could put into the back end of that rotation. They're a team that's always going to be willing to trade prospects at the deadline if they need a number two starter going into a playoff setting. So I, I think all of that plays into... Maybe they believe they can get by with Zach Wheeler at the front end of their rotation, Ranger Suarez, and Taiwan Walker, and then maybe one of these other guys, a Sonny Gray, Stroman, Flaherty, Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe they want to shop in that range as opposed to going out and getting a quote-unquote number one in Aaron Nola like the Cardinals need to go out there and acquire. So number one for me, go out there and get the guy in this offseason. The guy should be. Aaron Nola, and he's going to have a lot of bitters, but that's the guy that I would be going out there and getting. Number two, this is somebody that we've talked a lot about. If you're looking to that second tier market, if you've already signed Aaron Nola and you say, okay, now what? What do we do next? Because they need three starters this offseason. They've said to that publicly. The next guy that I would be targeting is Sonny Gray. When you look at Sonny Gray's numbers, Alex, and you compare it to every other second tier option, he stands a cut above. It's almost as if there's actually three tiers within this two-tier system. So you go Snell, Urias, Nola. That's the top category of pitcher in the market. And then there should be a second tier where it's just Sonny Gray. Because he is better in terms of the rate statistics, ERA, fielding independent pitching, strikeout rate, all of these different things, batting average against, than every other guy. Stroman, Flaherty, Rodriguez, Montgomery, Giolito, Paxton, Maeda. Sonny Gray has been better than them over the past three seasons. So... My ideal path for the Cardinals this offseason, start out by going and making an aggressive offer to get Aaron Nola to lead the front end of your rotation. Then go out and make an aggressive offer for Sonny Gray to be your number two starter going into next season. And if Sonny Gray says no, or if they decide, you know what, we're not willing to get the to, to sign somebody that is the QO attached to him, then your transition is actually to the two Japanese pitchers. Yeah, Yamamoto and Managa. Those are the two guys that I would have as my back op- background options. I-, I would say Nola is one, and then either Sonny Gray or the two pitchers coming over for Japan should be your tier two options. Yeah, and that's a A-plus offseason in my opinion. And look, Nola might flop, and it might not work out for you, and you're relying upon Sonny Gray or one of these pitchers in Japan to be that top player until Nola gets right. Don't care. You had to push all your chips into the middle on one of those tier two guys. And again, let's all be honest. Julio Urias is not going to be a Cardinals option. And to me, I would take the opportunity with Nola in hopes that it doesn't collapse right away over a Blake Snell that when it collapses, you're talking about a guy who becomes a bullpen arm. Like even if Nola falls apart, we're talking about a guy who could be a four or a five for you, which sucks to pay him $30 million. But again, you put yourself into this position. But at least for the next few years, I know I'm going to be competitive with Nola. And then that sec, that third tier of Sonny Gray and then one of those pitchers from Japan, that is the, that's the scuba diving rather than the snorkeling saying, well, I don't want to go that high. Let's no. go a little bit lower in James Paxton. So somebody on the text line said, guys, Sonny Gray is 33 years old and has a history of September declines. Yeah. Every one of these guys, you can say, yeah, but every yeah. single one of them. It's a pitcher. Marcus Stroman has a serious injury that he's dealing with right now. I'm not even sure he's going to opt out of that contract because of this. He's had a serious second half decline. And by the way, guys, I'm just going to be totally honest. 
I would be shocked if the Cardinals go that route. Last time he was a free agent, I was told not not going to be a Cardinal. Jack Flaherty, you're not going down that path again. Eduardo Rodriguez was MIA for half of the season last year. Jordan Montgomery, the Cardinals had him here and decided, nope, we'd rather move on. We would we have picked Michaelis. Miles Michaelis over Jordan Montgomery. Lucas Giolito, if you look at any number you want to, man, he's basically Jack Flaherty, but a little bit worse. So do you really want to sign that guy? I, I don't know. James Paxton, Kinta Maeda both have serious injury questions over the past few seasons, and both are more four starters than they are two or three starters. So I, I, we can play this game with everybody. That is a free agent this offseason. That's why they're hitting free agency, because their team's deemed to not re-sign them long-term. These guys all come with some warts. The ones that have the fewest, the ones that are the quote-unquote surest bets, which means it's like a 70% chance that it works out as opposed to a 50. Aaron Knoll, Sonny Gray. So the yep. two guys at the top of the market that I, if I was in charge of the Cardinals, if I had the Mo Bow tie on today, those would be my top two names that are on my list. And I would have them circled, starred, put into pin, highlighted. Those are the guys that I need to go out there and acquire going into the 2023 offseason. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Holiday's going to join Jamie Rivers and the one, the only, the diva, the superstar that is on the fast lane today, Tanner Hendrickson. That's coming up at a, in about five minutes or so. So stay tuned for that at the top of the hour as the fast lane comes your way from two to six. But we finished today's show by discussing what really are the tale of two different pitchers right now. Matthew Libertor. And Adam Wainwright. Matthew Libertor recapping what we saw last night. And, of course, Waino previewing what we'll see tonight. Alex, it was a no good, very bad start for Matthew Libertor. There's no other way to describe it. My firm stance, though, is it changes very little in how I view him. This is the same stance that I had after his last outing. I'm staying towards the middle with Libby right now. I want to be able to look back at his last 10 starts by the end of the season and say, okay, now we have a pretty firm grasp on where he's at currently. Doesn't mean he shouldn't be a part of your rotation or he's put into pin into your rotation next year either way. But this is why you give him this opportunity is to find out, all right, what's the consistency level here? Because that's the last thing to get there whenever you're a young player. Last night was bad. The time before that was the best outing he's had in his major league career. Now he needs to go out and learn from what went wrong last night. What went wrong is very obvious. Didn't have velo later in the outing and he couldn't land his curveball for strikes. If you get those two things from Matthew Liberatore, you're going to put yourself in a good situation to succeed. Yeah, it doesn't change anything for me either. I want to see him every fifth day for the rest of the season so I can see if Matthew Liberatore is able to fix the issues with his previous start. And if he does, then you're back into the plans. But And you're not changing from those plans. It's just a matter of depth chart right now. And I've seen more consistency in recent starts than from Dakota Hudson and the short sample size we've gotten from Zach Thompson. And this was just kind of a a yellow light for me with, uh, with Matthew Libertor of saying, okay, still a little concerned about who he is as a pitcher, 
but it's not changing anything for me in terms of I expect him out there every fifth day. And on the Wayno side of things, he goes out there tonight. It's a nationally televised game on Fox. Man, I hope like hell he's able to go out there and I hope he gets picked, uh, picks up win number 199, goes five, six innings, gives up two, three earned runs, and we all look back on this and say it's ridiculous that we ever had the conversation of taking him out of the rotation. But it's something we got to have. He's got an 880 ERA. It's one of the worst we've ever seen in the history of Major League Baseball. If things go awry tonight, Alex, I do think there is a very real chance that this ends up being the last time that we see Wayno start a game for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Where do you fall? I'm I'm not there. I think you'll see at least one more from him, and I believe if it goes real poorly, it'll be that last game of the season. Uh, but I do think that the finale of Wayno's career could be in jeopardy in terms of a guy in the rotation by tonight. He's done this before, though. That start that he had against the Diamondbacks after that 19 days off with the IL stint, he came out and he pitched well for him. He's pitched well in the past. It's just a matter of, of you not having the bullpen session. Did that benefit you and provide you your best stuff? The three amigos will be back tomorrow with Woo-hoo! Tanner Hendrickson back in the Sorry, saddle. Grant. Grant Francis did a great job today of filling in for T-Bone. The superstar will be up coming up here in just a few minutes on the fast lane for Alex and Grant. I'm BK. Go to the 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. You could find the full podcast there. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.